The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening on KWAM 990 AM News Talk Radio 107.9. <laughs> Does that mean it's cold? Or it's freezing. I want to say it's fall, y'all. Yeah, it is. Because <laughs> it was. Yeah, it's finally uh, cold, cool enough to... I mean, we did literally go from summer to winter we, this year. Listen, a couple weeks ago, 10 days ago, I had shorts and t-shirts, okay? Mm-hmm. Wearing them every day, and it felt great. In fact, you got a little hot. And then they said a little cool front's coming through. Well, it did. Yeah. And it turned into cold. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was telling y'all, I was not here last weekend. I was in Dallas. Same thing. You know, you think you're going to get away from the cold just going to Dallas? Mm-mm. Ain't going to happen. Yeah. It was I cold. Was, it, yeah. It's everywhere. And what about Buffalo with... Uh, <laughs> Working on six feet of snow now. Gosh. The, now that the, would be fun. Football yeah, stadium right. is all like you know, but it's undercover. only like twenty miles wide or so. It's that lake effect snow. Yeah, you you don't, you don't have to go far for you run into no snow. You know, really? and, and the people oh, that that's weird. And the, <laughs> it is. and the people that live there, they know that. Uh-huh. So, yeah. And what about frost all like every morning this morning? Love this it. Morning, this week morning. Love it. Does that make sense? This week mornings. Yeah. Yeah. That was nice. So, so um, well, I didn't have to get up till it, it was gone. All so melted and all. Rub it in. You were just bit. doing the uh, recliner liner yes. studying thing in the morning, so you were working. You just didn't have to go defrost your windows. All right, so we're into what our, as far as gardeners go, is what mm-hmm. we can do outside. I mean, we're into the the slow season now. Yeah. Yeah, but still, like this week coming up, man, y'all need, if you want to do any planting, do any creating, this is a good week. Soil's in good up. shape, yeah. I mean, you know, we haven't had rain in a while, so the soil's workable right oh, now. True. Don't have to worry about it sticking together. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true, because yeah. a lot of times we're already soaking wet. What Gumbo. about, and each day the banana plants are getting burned back a yeah. little bit further. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and I'm going to do, I'm going to get a few leaves up today. Uh, I got a few up, you know, last weekend, almost at nighttime when mm-hmm. I got back in town. And, um, you know, I was thinking about my banana tree. I mean, they're hardy bananas. Uh, but, you know, last year I waited till they were just mush. Yeah. Which before, is horrible to clean oh, up. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. is ho- it's horrible. Smelly. Do I need to go ahead, Jim, and just cut that, or Veda, cut that thing down, you know, four inches mm-hmm. off the ground and just just do it? Well, well I'm Jim, gonna, what do you do? I'm going to cut you? mine. In fact, right now, you know, I'm staying with Christy, my daughter, and she's got a whole bunch of them that lying around her pool. So she's got more than two. Oh, you know. yeah. <laughs> she's got, it must be 50 or more. Okay. Well, that's way but too But I'm going to cut them all off <laughs> about three to four feet above the ground okay um the stem is actually a packet of leaves that extends up to about three feet or so so i'm going to cut there i've had many many winters where that survives through the winter Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. and then just re-sprouts and you get ahead by four to six weeks or so versus waiting for root sprouts to come Mm -hmm. up and replace them okay uh now the last two winters it's gotten cold enough to continue to burn them down to the ground so i've had to go back and pick up that mushy stuff (laughs) but uh, i've had lots of winters where it's they go right through the winter just fine because last year mine actually my my main i guess tuber down there Mm -hmm. i know it died because i had all these little uh, banana plants coming up from around where the big one used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they still got six foot tall and six foot wide, you know, by the end of the year. 
But I was just thinking, oh, is it better for me not to cut it down almost to ground level? Yeah, sounds you know, right like, now sounds like like Jim said, that's a great idea. Three feet. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to, go ahead and cut them back. You know, if you want to be cleaned up, you know, some yeah. people may not like the appearance of a little three stalk foot sticking stalk up, yeah. up there. Because okay. um, you're going to get a, a, a probably ten or twelve little sprouts to come off of it. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's uh, if it's happy. And we do some things to our plants that we do so the appearance is not offensive to neighbors, uh-huh. maybe, yeah. or to uh, the uh, neighborhood association, possibly. Because you know, like like we were saying, like you were saying. Uh, Horticulturally speaking, you mm-hmm. could say three feet cutting the bananas would be great. But then you say, well, you know, some people don't want to see that. So just cut them to the ground. But we do that with a lot of things like the perennials, for instance. Mm-hmm. We're always just, just cut them all to the ground. Right. But I didn't really think about the fact that birds like the seed heads on coneflowers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, Finches will feed on them all winter. And, man, how beautiful is that going to be to watch the yellow, beautiful finches? Mm-hmm. Is it the yellow finches, yeah. do they do? Yeah, the yellow finches sitting out in the winter mm-hmm. feeding on the seed heads. of. But some people's going to clear that all down because they don't. They want us to have that nice look. But then you're missing the beautiful birds on mm-hmm. the seed heads. Well, and I still think overall on perennials in particular, because like I said, we're in such a hurry to get out there and do the fall cleanup, if you will. It's just to leave the perennials alone. Now, I don't mind getting, you know, debris out of the mm-hmm. beds, you know, whether it's leaves that are dried up or whatever. But I still like the idea of not cutting the perennials back until early spring. Uh, I just think overall they're just more winter hardy. You know, and then, Jim, a couple of weeks ago, Vader, one of y'all made a comment about, you know, some of the ornamental grasses, especially the ones that have hollow uh, stems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you really don't want to cut those back this time of year. So, I mean— uh, you know, I mean, is there what is the pro and con when it really comes to like a massive perennial bed and tons of different varieties of perennials yeah. out there? Well, well you got a couple of questions you want to ask yourself. One, do I want this to reseed? Yeah. Okay, if you don't want a thousand coneflower coming up in there, then as soon as the flowers are spent, cut them off. Mm-hmm. Okay, to keep that from happening. Now there are a few mm-hmm. perennials, and we talked about this I think a week or two ago. Uh, like lantana. Right. If you mm-hmm. cut them back, they're more likely to be winter damaged because right. they get water down into those canes. Um, but to me, a, a large Miss Huff is just not very attractive mm-hmm. in right. the garden, period. Same here. Yeah. <laughs> no seed heads for them to feed <laughs> yeah. on. I mean, it's just ugly. Right. So that's, that's one where I cut them off at the ground and I do put a piece of plastic over the the cane so that mm-hmm. water can't get into them mm-hmm. and they just throw a little mulch over them and, 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 and maybe spring. give them a chance to come back oh as they'll far come as, back yeah yeah they'll come back because there's a lot there's most yeah. of the lantana won't come right. back miss huff right. is one it of the more hardy ones yeah. Even you know you could depend on miss huff pink miss huff ham and eggs new gold those are almost always winter hardy mm-hmm. here yeah, even with hardy. the ups and downs, yeah. root hard. And then what yeah. about the evergreens like the arborvitaes, you know, for winter protection? Well, that's um, for wildlife and all. Yeah, that yeah. was one of the things we were going to go through is different sizes and varieties and textures of plants and what they can um, do to protect the wildlife. Because, like, yeah, definitely evergreens because thing, birds are are going to be nesting oh, sure. you know in them that's a good protection for any type of of critter to hang out in and you know when the weather's bad and 
having things grouped together even helps them more. And I think, uh, you know, especially on like the evergreens, you know, because, you know, they don't go really dormant. They don't drop Mm -hmm. their leaves like the deciduous plants do. Um, So if we're not, you know, if it's pretty dry through the fall, you make sure those things are well, well watered before Mm -hmm. we get into the really cold Mm -hmm. part of the year. And we're getting there. So, you know, I'm going to go out there today, honestly, and water the two arborvitas that are on either side of my front door. And they're newly planted also. Yeah, they were planted when, it? back in the spring, I yeah, guess. Yeah, was it that? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I know that I want these things hydrated. I want that, that, that soil moist around that root ball because I know they're going to quit taking up water when it starts getting really cold. Right. You know, as we've told, uh, mentioned here several times, once the soil temperature drops below 45, plants can't replace that water. Right. So you, if it's a susceptible plant to drying, it'll the wind will just suck the moisture out of it, and mm-hmm. that's when you get desiccation right. and death of the stem. Right. So right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that thing is well hydrated because it's been pretty dry here lately, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? It sure has. We did get, was it Monday we got that ex- unexpected yes. rain? Mm-hmm. The weather forecast was all different than I was prepared for that day, and that was good, but then still not enough. Well, some people got that unexpected rain. I mean, Are I had you, a little moisture mean, on the driveway, and that, yeah. was, that was it. Not enough to penetrate the soil or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, of course. And you probably didn't get rain either. Actually, I, I did get a little rain out of that. Not again, not as much as I would like to have yeah. had, but it was enough to to dampen everything. Because you two seem to have domes over your house. Yes. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, the house. Yeah, it definitely has a dome over it. And I guess the other thing around the evergreens is, you know, a, a, a layer of mulch really helps also. And around here, most people in the Mid-South, you know, we do mulch a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it is good to help hold that moisture in to protect that root system down there. So there are a lot of beds I see out there that some people just still don't mulch whatsoever. Yeah. That's fine. You don't have to mulch your all your beds. But I do think in some of these certain plants, especially some of these shallow-rooted plants, you do want some mulch around those particular plants, even if you're just individually mulching some of those specimens and not the whole yeah, bed. Yeah, the whole bed. Yeah, well, the, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, we need to take a break. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're going to go to a break, and y'all need to give us a call, 260-5926. Demand, I'm back. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can be with us this morning. Y'all can call us at 260-5926 or uh, watch us on Facebook Live. And you can see all three of us, which is fantastic. And you can uh, post questions there also. Yeah, I'm going to it right now. But Jim, one, yeah, one of the you were talking about the importance of mulching or the need to on some plants. And to me, one of the most important ones are the mop head hydrangeas. Uh, mm-hmm. because of where we live. You know, this, this is probably the worst place to grow hydrangeas, and it's because our soil freezes and thaws repeatedly. And when it begins to thaw, the hydrangea thinks it's springtime, so your buds begin to swell, and then we get another cold mm-hmm. spell, and it knocks the flowers <coughs> out. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if you can get a couple of inches of mulch on top of those uh, mop head azaleas, it will lessen the likelihood of getting zapped yeah. during the season. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, even if you mulch them in really good, which you should for sure, if you still get one of these, you know, 48 degree during the day temperature and then, you know, dropping down to 13 that night, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to get, gonna matter. yeah, it's not going to matter. They're going to get killed to the ground like they did, but, you know, uh, three or four years ago anyway. Well, thank goodness we don't have that constantly. Yeah. Oh, you know what I want to know about those sheep walking in a circle? 
Yeah. They said the apocalypse is on the way. <laughs> have you heard? Of, have you seen that, Jim? No. Well, I wouldn't have even known about it except for I was in here yesterday, and the um, station manager, Kevin Davis, said, so what is about those sheep walking in circles in China? And I'm like, oh, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> and uh, so I looked it up, and they've been working, walking in circles in China for 12 days, and they're actually in stall 13 out of 38 <laughs> stalls. I've been, I think they've been uh, eating uh, some of that funny hay, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but 12 <laughs> Days. I got I got no they were gonna go over it on TV this morning before I left and I was like, Oh, I'm I can just stay a few more minutes and watch this, but then I wouldn't be here. So they've been in the same stall for twelve days? Walking well, in a probably, circle. They're probably wanting to go to the bathroom. Let me out of here. This is so curious. But anyway, that doesn't have anything to do with gardening, but I'm still very concerned. <laughs> well, the sheep manure is pretty good. So. Yeah, it is. That's true. I don't think they're manuring either. Mm. Well, <laughs> so so much for all that. I don't know if I'd want that manure. It could be spooky. Oh, look, Kenneth made note. I did, but also we've got some good news about uh, the Mid-South uh, Memphis area Master Gardeners. Uh, we're going to have some of them up here this morning talking about the... The calendar that they put out every year. Yeah. And I'm telling you, and we'll ask them the same question. You talk about the perfect stocking stuffer. I mean, I'm serious. It, it It's the calendar. You cannot beat this thing. Yeah, it's a calendar. You can't get it in a stocking. So. You, yeah, you can, you can roll that, that thing like, and get in there. I don't know if I want my calendar. No, my <laughs> stocking's big. Yeah, I don't my think he's seen our stockings. Big. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you put a lot of stuff in that yeah. stocking. Oh, I can't wait to get those because it's also almost like a book. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much information in there that's that's very useful. It's just not blah, blah, blah. It's got really good info. Well, yeah. I don't go over it. No, we'll let them here. talk about it. We'll <laughs> ho- have them in here in the studio, hopefully around 7 o'clock, and we'll talk about this this wonderful calendar that I'm telling you, everyone needs to get one. Good deal. Tell you what to do um, monthly and all that. So anyway, we were talking about, about oh, winter damage and what we need to be doing for winter. This is a true story, and this happened two days ago. Had a gentleman in the garden center, and we were talking about putting different things in containers. You know, and a lot of people go to boxwoods, and they yeah. go to hollies, and just some kind of evergreen, whether it's a cryptomeria, small arbovitas, Alberta spruce. You know, all those <laughs> things are wonderful to put in containers. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. And this man looked at me, and he said, well, I really like something colorful. And I said, well, that's typically where you put the ornamental cabbage and kale you know, the pansies and violas. And he saw the poinsettias that had just come in. And he said, what about those? And I was oh, like, don't break his heart. No, but you I didn't to. want to. But I'm telling you guys, poinsettias are not going to tolerate any cold weather whatsoever. He said, do you think they'd make it through the winter? I said, they wouldn't make it through the day. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, you know, if you're thinking about getting a poinsettia for the first time, uh, they don't like cold. I mean, even from the store yeah. to your house, they don't like cold. Right, right. They surely don't like cold once you get them home. And you surely can't put them in a planter outside unless you want to have them look good for about 10 minutes, Ten, okay? Yeah. Maybe 30. So, I mean, and, and I chuckled, and I was just like, you know, I'm, it's happened. Yeah. It's happened before. People oh, would, yeah, I see it outside, actually, uh, driving through neighborhoods sometimes. It, so, guys, you know, poinsettias in planters outside this time of year is a big-time no. Poinsettias in the house in a cold, 
up against a cold window is a big time no. Now, you know the weather will go back to a decent temperature that you can set them outside to display them at the nursery. Uh, Yeah. It really will. But, I mean, you can't leave them out there all the time. But just for a couple hours, the the weather will be fine for it. And then the next day, it'll be so cold, you can't even let them be close to the window. I mean, they're, what, native of Mexico? Yes. Yeah. Um, And and what was the deal? It was... uh, uh, Captain Poinsett. Yeah, yeah Captain or, or Colonel Poinsett or whoever. Yeah. Uh, I think had a, I think he was a botanist and had a house in the Carolinas. And he was in Mexico and he saw these things and really fell in love with them for all the right reasons, you know? This is like back in 1890. Yeah, but the one he found yeah. had just a touch of red on it. Exactly. Say, well, yeah. Didn't look poinsettia like. <laughs> and he started sending a lot of these back to his house mm-hmm. uh, in the Carolinas. And of course, the rest is history. We figured out how to hybridize them and, and everything else with them. And now it's just a. It's a part of Christmas, you yeah, know, the you know, poinsettia. When I first got in this business, if you wanted to get one to rebloom, you had to shade it for 12 yeah. hours. Yeah. Had to be in a closet. Couldn't uh-huh. have light coming under it, I mean, under the door. Yeah. I mean, it was we a like, real pain to right. get them to rebloom. Yeah. Now, you don't have to shade them at all. Most all of them now are Freedom Series, and, you know, the, all you got to do is stick to cuttings and let them go. So that's, that's just amazing because um, our local grower – they grow um, the poinsettias. Sure they do. And they start September, August, September yeah. mm-hmm. time frame. And I noticed that they didn't, they weren't putting the shade cloth over at night. Because, you know, like, Mm-mm. I think that TNT out in, when they used to be TNT, they actually had it, their greenhouses where they were on timers. They'd mm-hmm. pull that shade cloth back and forth to get enough darkness. Well, uh, Chatelon doesn't have that. And so I was going to ask. And you're, tell, you're saying it's because the new series are yep. hybridized that we don't have to play that game. Yep. Well, they do is stick their cuttings and at the right time, and they bloom right on cue. And, and it's like everything else, you know, that, that gets better for us, honestly, poinsettias being one of them. But then, you know, you'll walk through some of these stores Every year it happens, and you'll see the glitter poinsettia and the blue you poinsettia. You just hate those. I just, no, it, it is just it is <laughs> not Agreed, right. Though. And, and I keep going right. back. It's just like green ketchup. It's just something's not right about it, okay? Yeah, so, it's not. No. I mean, just, <laughs> no. Because we're traditionally, and even, even you know, a lot of times there's things that are traditionally, or we like tradition. We want to see the same thing over and over with the younger kids and all. They want to change a tradition or have something different. They're not even interested in Oh, I'm not saying people paint. don't buy them. People buy those things. But, uh, you know, to me, I guess yeah. being an old-fashioned, you know, traditionist, like you said, I'm sticking with the, you know, the poinsettias that I know growing up, okay? Right. Not, not glittered poinsettias. Something's just not right about it. No, you could... Like from a distance, spray some light coating of glitter. But you know the ones that we were making blue, and what was the other colors? Orange. You know, just just you could spray paint them even. Well, I mean, that was horrible. But they're yeah. I mean, something's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh well so but okay so i was gonna say we people like to say poinsettias over and all and try to get that original one to do great in the uh, season again and i've heard a few people say that but now that we don't have to play the light game with it so say for instance if we kept a poinsettia but it didn't look really good could we take a cutting off of the 
poinsettia that doesn't look good and then just grow another one that would look good. Yes, you could. You know, take your cutting in, in July and August and pot it and, and do the same thing. But, mm-hmm. the, you know, your original one, if you've taken care of it and haven't given it, exposed it to too much cold, it will be fine. I mean, mm-hmm. it will rebloom again for yeah. you the next year. Yeah, you know, I got in the habit of planting them in the garden mm-hmm. afterwards because they're nice background foliage for uh, annuals. If you've got yeah. low annuals like dianthus, it really is pretty. The foliage is really nice. So you you make them, you just keep them looking as best as you can, and then like April or May, put them in the. I cannot believe yeah. we're having this discussion. I know. Because you I know, know when how I feel going, about carrying over poinsettia. I know you yeah. hate and it. And I've told this story many, many times. You know, my mother, you know, she's not going to throw any living plant away ever, including a poinsettia. So she had this massive, it grown into a just a shrub, if you will, in her backyard in a pot, mm-hmm. okay? And I'm at her house cutting her yard for her. And I'm in the backyard, and I go by this thing, and I almost get blown down by the amount of white fly that was on this poinsettia. <laughs> that makes me itch. And I said, <laughs> I stopped, the, stopped what I was doing. I didn't say a word to anybody. I did kind of look around my shoulder to make sure my mom was looking out the window. And I got that poinsettia. And I threw it in the trash, okay? And hopefully she's not listening as right now. Mm. But, yes, you can carry these you things over. You mean she over. hasn't caught you yet? She probably knows what uh, happened, honestly. You know she's got to. So, to, to <laughs> me, after the season's over with, guys, just get rid of the thing. I'm just telling you. So... Yeah, you know, as I say, I, I love all plants, but something has to be near the bottom of the list. <laughs> Well, that's a good point. And, you know, and poinsettias and euonymus kind of fluctuate, right? <laughs> I have to agree what with you. What about the mom? Is that fall in that category? Or well, I, I like moms, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't like the um, the undependableness of them, if that's a that's good word. That's probably the word, yeah. yeah you know, because yeah. if, you, if you buy a, a tent of them, and if they survive the winter— they won't be as full as they were because you won't remember. Yeah, the pinch exactly. Thing. So that's my uh, total no, thing. You won't. Is I don't like them. And so the ones late. on the left will bloom before the ones on the right. You know. <laughs> we'll be right back. Two six zero five nine two six. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. You're listening to KWAM 990 AM News Talk and 107.9. You can uh, listen to our podcast. Oh, yeah, kwamradio.com. You can go back and listen to it anytime. And if you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. And Veda and Jim, they can always shoot us a text uh, on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. So a lot of and different ways to get in touch with us. You can look on um, our Facebook. <laughs> uh, Facebook page that Jim has yep. done. Join our Facebook group if you hadn't. Um, uh, is there anybody that hasn't? Uh, well, a few. There's yeah. a few. Yeah. Let me check those so numbers. We, we got about 8,200. And last uh, week we had about 2,400 hits on it. So it's amazing. You know, uh, that many people looking in at some <clears throat> different things. And this is a web page. And why did you, what, what made you, what triggered you to start this thing, Jim? Okay, it's well, it's Mid-South Gardening, what, Zone 6, 7, 8, 9? Yeah. When I, um, well, I, I, I stayed away from Facebook right. as long as I possibly could. <laughs> yeah. But I was the same. A few way. years back I was, um, raising some birds and there was a lady up in illinois i think who had some uh was growing some of the same type birds and i was looking maybe to purchase some from her but the only way she would commute uh, communicate with you was through uh facebook 
So I set up a Facebook account just to talk to her. And I don't think she ever even replied. But, but anyway, it just sat there dormant for six months or so. And I thought, you know, I've retired and I've got all this information mm-hmm. in my head and stuff that I'd worked on when I was with Dan West. And I said, you know, I'll try, I think I'll just try to share that and see where it Isn't goes. Amazing so we started out with like 12 members, you know, including me. Kind of going back and forth mm-hmm. with text and yeah. sharing information. And, yeah. and you know, in the first year we got about a thousand or so, but, but we um, it's gone pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know? And we have, we have a file section where you can look in there and look at, like we had a question come up this week about persimmons, you know, mm-hmm. and I've got a file in there on persimmons, which ones, you know, produce without a pollinator, uh, which ones are stringent and which ones aren't. That means which ones make your milk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> stringent. Oh, yeah. So. And we've all done that before. Yeah. Dare someone yes. to bite into a green persimmon. Running right? through yeah. the woods and you're like, oh, persimmon trees, let's munch. Yeah. And they're not ready. So, um, but anyway, there's a lot of good information on lots of different types of fruits, peaches, plums, pears, um, even kiwis, things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, and uh, we've got files on um, plants that are deer resistant. Uh, I forget that about gr- the files all the time. Yeah, plants that grow in wet or moist areas. So we have, uh, we have lots lots of good information on there, and, and I'm trying to add some. I put um, I haven't made a file out of it, but about I don't know a week or ten days ago, I added my file on uh, daylilies. Yeah. it was I don't know it's well over a hundred varieties. Uh, and it tells you whether or not they're reblooming, whether they're evergreen. Gives you the height, gives you, you know, describes the color. Uh, the old day lily. Yeah. Remember, remember the old orange blooming day lily in the ditch? Yes. You know, oh, in the yeah. ditches ditch that lilies. you'd see. You yeah. know, driving down ditch a country lilies. road. And to me, that was the only day lily, mm-hmm. you know, in existence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My mother had a day lily patch, and it was all same color day lilies, yeah. but they were pretty. And you know how you know, you know I'll say this till the day I die. You know how hosta enthusiasts are the craziest people out there. Well, there are some daylily enthusiasts out there also. Oh, yeah. We have uh, one of our good members, uh, uh, Theo Terry, has huge number of daylilies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just unphenomenal. It, phenomenal. Yes. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. There you go. It's like, well, that wasn't up very nice. Words, and, and, and there's so many types of daylilies. <laughs> yeah, because there, there's some that are roughly on the end, some that have red in the throat, yeah, The purple. spider types. Yeah, the spider. Not my favorite, but there are some that I think are really pretty, but he's got them, and his are all named, you know. I, I bury the names usually in the yeah. hole when I plant them, so you know, I know, forget what they are. See, I had a, the, uh, a man that we had done worked in his garden for a long time that's what we did was bury the labels in the ground so if they died he would know which one it was but i'm like how do you know what it is if the labels are in the ground and and, you know if they could come up with some way to have the daily bloom last more than a day more than a day it would be lights out we always want more don't we yes we do (laughs) but i mean if you can think about it if they Mm -hmm. bloom for like a week or two yeah you know per blooming little session that's a lot it'd be one of the best perennials you know in the world honestly Mm -hmm. but it's just it's not going to i'm sure it would have happened by now if it could happen right but never say never you never know they're still working you know every year there's another 50 years of varieties that come out that you know may or may not last for more than one or two years but they're new this year and all the catalogs Mm -hmm. and then you know on your facebook page jim mid-south gardening uh not only can you go in there and read you know and really 
I mean, it's like reading a book and learning things. But people also post pictures with yes, questions. It's a place to brag. Uh, it's a place to ask questions, uh, you know, or identify things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I see a and, lot of that. Uh, and all of your yeah, answers, yeah. Uh, in theory, come from people who, who know what they're talking about. They're not going to look up something on the Internet and send it to you and say, here, you know, because you know, if you got to look it up on the Internet, you either haven't grown it or yeah. really d- aren't comfortable with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so much stuff we see on the Internet, surprisingly, is not true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got a few of those pointers to make today. I've got one that I'm gonna make today yeah. also, and, and and it, you know, I was reading about it last night. I'm thinking, you know, is this right or not? But we'll bring it up, you know. But also, you know, we were talking about kind of in the in the fall winter theme of things, you know, the poinsettias. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, then you know, the Christmas cactus, of course. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say something about that. I have ordered some minis, and they've got like three or four blooms or little uh, bloom buds coming on but they're many so Mm -hmm. it's almost like two cuttings Uh, so that would be something you could give as a gift and then let them start with it and then like 50 years later it's humongous and full of blooms yeah do you know they can live up to a to be a hundred years old a hundred I have heard of people passing them on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, they can, I mean, that's a plant that can live for a long time, okay, guys? It can outlive us. Let's they, put it that way. Because we're impressed when a tree lives like that. But the biggest thing with the Christmas cactus, it is a, a succulent, is, you know, don't overwater. Uh, and that's what we all do, not only to our regular house plants, we do it to the ones that absolutely don't need water also, mostly succulents. So and, and another thing is when you take the Christmas cactus home, is don't put it in indirect sunlight either, because they'll burn. I mean, they love indirect light. That's all they need. They don't need full sun, you know, on the west side, right in front of that window right there. So good indirect light, moist but not wet. In fact, let it get let it get dry between, I'm not saying bone dry, but let it get on the dry side between waterings. Like I said, the most people most definitely overwater their Christmas cactus. But if you just do those simple little things, I mean... Mm-hmm. You'll have them forever. Yeah. Now uh, you do want to once it starts buds start on it and start opening. You do want to keep more moisture on it then. Moist. That's right. right. But don't keep this thing wet. They will. The flowers will wilt prematurely if there's not enough soil moisture. Yeah. So and, and, and I got to say this, Vader. We talked about this, Jim. Is like my wife. She's got two what I call Christmas cactus. Which you call quote quote. Well, because there's Thanksgiving cactus <laughs> oh, okay. and then Easter there's cactus. You know, okay. right. But and then she's got one that's starting to bloom right now. Mm-hmm. So I mean, could that be considered a Thanksgiving yeah. cactus? You know, yeah. yes. It's fact, most everything that's sold as Christmas cactus really is a Thanksgiving cactus. Yeah. So, you know Because we're wanting it to bloom throughout the Christmas season. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and we're gonna call it Christmas cactus yeah, regardless. Right. But you know it, it they don't mind even being pot bound, to be honest with you. No, okay? they don't. They don't. Did you imagine how big a pot would have to be for a hundred year old? Yeah. <laughs> and, and they actually they bloom a little better if they are a little pot bound. But I've seen Christmas cactus in containers. They've been in that same container so long, where the soil has just shrunk halfway in size. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, right? I mean, it's just, and it's just struggling in this container. Invariably, eventually, we need to take it out of there and bump it up to just a one size larger pot. Uh, you know, you don't go from a six inch to a mm-hmm. ten inch pot, okay? You go from a six to an eight or six to a seven. But 
every now and then, since, you know, we, it's one of those plants we just kind of forget about. It collects dust. You know, it's horrible looking, in my opinion, until the thing starts to bloom, and then there's nothing like it. Mm-hmm. So if you've got one of these Christmas cactus that's been in that same container for 30 years, you've never replaced the soil, you've never bumped it up to a bigger pot, it's time yeah. to do it, is all do I'm saying. Something. Yeah, at least... At least fertilize it. <laughs> and every now and then, just once a year, take it outside and wash the dust off yeah, the leaves. Yeah, that is so funny how universal that is. Yeah. Christmas cactuses in the house usually have dust on them. But they are beautiful, guys. And they're, but the whole point of this is they, are, they have beautiful blooms. They're really, really easy to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can be attractive. I'm not trying to you know, to paint a picture where they're ugly plants. They, they can be very attractive. When they're blooming. But it is a low-maintenance type house plant, though. Water is the issue, though, because they are technically epiphytes. They grow attached to rocks, mm-hmm. to uh, tree trunks. Uh, and so they they really don't need soil. Mm-hmm. They'll grow just fine attached yeah. to something huh. as long as it gets some moisture, gets pills, pulls nutrients from whatever it's attached to. Uh, but it makes its own food, so it you know it's it's quite happy. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I guess that's why they last so long because I don't know. Despite what we do to them, yeah. So we're saying. How much would you water it then? Maybe once every two weeks. Yeah. You know, I mean, usually with our houseplants in general, mm-hmm. you know, we're watering once a week. Yeah. Uh, you know, and now in the, you know, the fall and winter, you know, you really don't have to water maybe as much. Mm-hmm. But typically it's just once a week watering. And, and, you know, if you do that format, you're pretty you're pretty okay on most of your houseplants. Christmas cactus, I would go like every other watering, yeah. every two weeks, because right. there again, you do not want to keep these things too wet. Yeah, on watering houseplants, I mean, uh, the one thing is we have to go to a break. It's the one thing. So let's do that. And uh, y'all give us a call, 260-5926, or post questions on our Facebook Live. We'll be right back. South Gardening. I'm Veda with <laughs> Palladio. There she goes. I'm telling you, and I'm Kenneth. I can Mabry. do that, but it's real ugly. <laughs> with Dan I don't West. know if that was good either on my part. So <laughs> with Danwes Garden Centers, and I'm Jim Crowder. I am a retired nurseryman and uh, administrator of our Facebook group. And just one heck of a nice guy. Oh, heck yeah, he is. <laughs> and the best. if you don't like me, then you'll have the other opinions. <laughs> and if you want to get in touch with us this morning, guys, uh, 260-5926. 260-5926, the Mighty 990 Facebook page. You can always shoot us a text right there. And then, of course, if you want to go back and listen to the podcast later on, kwamradio.com is streaming live all the time. And like we said in the first 15 minutes of the show, we do have some guests coming mm-hmm. up. Veda Jim, uh, Memphis area. Why don't I always say Memphis area? Master gardeners, because master gardeners around here are from the Memphis area. It's just saying what well, area we're in. Yeah, but every county in. has their own. You know, uh, but Tipton so County has one, which yeah. I've taught classes there a number of times. Uh, uh, I mean, in Fayette County, and Tipton County has one. So, but we do uh, have some great folks coming up to talk about the calendar that they uh, they actually produce this calendar. You know, mm-hmm. all the pictures, all the information, the whole calendar is is done by the Memphis area master gardeners. Even the pictures are are by the master oh, gardeners. Yeah. Listen, they're just not cutting and pasting, you know, some nice picture out of fine gardening or something. And, and they're a beautiful again, picture on the cover of uh, of uh, lilies. 
You've seen it? Yeah, it's really pretty. See, I, I haven't gone through it yet. I've, I've seen it. We've got some. You know, we went had ordered some, but I mm-hmm. haven't had the chance to even look through this yeah. thing yet. I'm still waiting for mine to show up. I think since I'm farthest away, oh yeah, they get to going, me last. But they'll get to you, I promise <laughs> yes, you. Yes, they will. Looking forward to seeing all that. So um, we were talking about... Um, and then I said, we got to go to the break. What were we talking about? Poinsettia Christmas cactus and watering mm-hmm. and, um, you know, on house plants. Oh, the soil, talking about like in, uh, pot bound and all that. And then we're always telling people, if you're repotting your house plants, go to the next container up, like a like if it's in a four inch, it's in a two inch. But we also have to think of the depth of the container, too. Oh. It's like if you're going up the next uh, size of the container, that's great. But what if it's much deeper than the container that it's in now? That's really not good because it, it stays. There's so much soil that you can't really water properly. Mm-hmm. And so that's a lot of times is why we're putting them just a little bit up higher each time. Well, and that's the thing, you know, I mean, without knowing, if I had my house plant in a six-inch pot, okay, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, well, I want to, you know, I don't want to repot this thing every year or two years, whatever. I'm going to go from a six-inch pot to a 10-inch pot. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I don't have to pop, yeah. maybe ever repot this thing. Yeah, in that our indoor plant. The worst things yeah. that you can do, though, like you just mm-hmm. said, because you're going from such a smaller six inch pot to a 10 inch pot, you got all this extra soil in there. That's all fine and good. It's the water there mm-hmm. again, because all this extra soil is holding extra water. Yeah. And it's going to be really hard to moderate how much moisture you need just around the root system mm-hmm. of this plant in a bigger pot like that. Exactly. And of course, it's going to take much longer for it to dry out. Mm-hmm. So we we can't really jump to the conclusion that a you know, I'm going to a much bigger pot just to keep me from repotting this thing more often than I really want to. That's not going to work. Right. Or you could say something. Well, I've gone to almost a uh, totally using azalea pots instead of yeah. standard clay. And explain. Well, azalea pot is um, it's probably a third the uh, the depth. depth on it than a standard pot. Same size opening at the top, right. but just not as deep. Right. And since most plants, roots run right along the surface, mm-hmm. um, you really don't need that extra depth yeah. on a lot of plants. Now, some things you may need to. Um, Kafer lilies, clavia, because they have a huge bulb down at the bottom of it, you may need the extra depth for Mm -hmm. for those. But most plants, uh, in fact, all of my succulents go into, um, if I have to kick them up, go into uh, azalea pods. Yeah, I like because azalea pots means it's squatty. You know, there's a standard that that's just a standard one we see all the time. And then there's a squat one. And that was we were looking at pots to order. And and Leslie asked, so what what's the point? They sometimes are called a bulb pan. Yeah, that's even more shallow. The low bowl. Yeah. And I was like, well, it just seems to me that things grow better in it. And so the question is, if you have that 10 inch pot, that's a standard that's deeper, has more mm-hmm. soil in it, and you have a 10-inch azalea pot, which one dries faster? The azalea pot. No. Wait, tell me that again. Oh, I that's out right. We're going to the sponge again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I spaced out for a minute. You were saying, okay, the, uh, the azalea, okay, tell me the you question got a 10 inch, You got a 10-inch standard you pot. 10-inch okay. standard pot. And then you have a 10-inch azalea pot, which is mm-hmm. a shorter pot. It's yeah. just not as deep. It has about a third less soil in it, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, same width. Yeah. And it actually dries slower than the tall pot. 
<laughs> because it can't the gravity's not pulling the moisture down because right. Gra- gravity less. pulls the moisture down to the lowest spot mm-hmm. okay so you're going to get extra depth with your regular pot so the soil at the top is going to be drier that just mm-hmm. uh, my head is so- hurting soil holds a hundred percent of the water that it can before the next particle below mm-hmm. it gets wet mm-hmm. okay so it continues to move downward until the bottom is saturated yeah okay and then it either drips out the bottom or it can't take any more moisture so you've got really wet and then you've got mm-hmm. 10 inches of a little bit drier soil all the way to the top that's ex- with this with the 10 <laughs> inches a your pot you have that same amount of moisture at the bottom just like you did in the uh-huh. 10 mm-hmm. inch but when you get to the top, that soil is wetter than the same area on the it, other side. It, it yeah. completely makes sense. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. and well, that's our thing. Like where I'm discovering who you get your house plants from, who you buy from, because you look at a house plant in a container and it's so dry. You'll put the moisture meter in there; it's so dry. But then you go to the bottom where the holes are and you push the moisture meter there and yeah. it's really wet. Yeah. Yeah. But I still have to water because mm-hmm. the top where the roots are are dry. But then all that extra soil at the bottom is holding the water, which then that mm-hmm. starts creating a root rot. And then compounding the problem with that is when you order a lot of these plants in from different places, they're all using a different medium. Oh, yeah. yeah. And some of them dry out really, really fast, even on bedding plants. And some mm-hmm. of them hold moisture, you know, for quite a long time. So, you know, that's why we always say, you know, watering, eh, that's, a, that's the easiest thing in the world to do. Mm. It's very complex, to be honest with you. Yeah. you know. It is. I know my uh, boss is not not in the garden industry at all. You know, they're more uh, antiques and um, refurbishing, all that kind of stuff. So, so still, you know, teaching him how the garden industry works somewhat. And so he goes, well, why don't you just get, you know, one of the guys in there that he's the one that does the loading and the fixing up. And just, just get have with him a big water. watering can and go through there I'm and like, water everything. Like, no, you just, you just there don't understand. There goes your inventory. No, yeah. no. And I can't get him to understand that. I mean, almost your water person needs to be the highest paid person <laughs> yeah. because it's so... I mean, it's not, this watering is not a difficult thing. It's the amount of things we have to water yeah, and they all in the garden industry. So that's where you need a specialized water. And, and another real, uh, thing on watering really quick is, you know, most of our house plants, of course, are in some type of plastic saucer mm-hmm. indoors this time of year. Well, or any time of year. Uh, and it's good to go in there. And I like to water house plants. When I do water, I like to water them enough where water's coming out of the bottom of the pot. But the other thing is, try to get the excessive moisture, guys, out of the saucers. You do not mm-hmm. want your house plant you sitting to. in a saucer that is halfway or full of water. It, it's just, it's not going to mm-hmm. work. I'm telling you, you've got to get that excessive moisture out of there. Yeah, um, you do. We had one that sat down right in the pot perfectly. And because it couldn't get any air circulation because it was sitting in the pot perfectly, it really actually wasn't draining. Yeah. And it started rotting. Well, hopefully, no guys, when we come back on the air, we're going to have... Uh, Jamie with the Master Gardeners and all of them. We'll be right back after these messages. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, Mid-South Gardeners, and welcome to 
Mid-South Gardening. Second hour at Mid-South Gardening, Miss Veda. Hour. I good, love it. I'm so glad we have three hours now. And Veda, good morning to you once again. If you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926. 260-5926. Or you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text yeah. there if you want. And like Veda always says, if you miss these you know, wonderful shows early in the morning, which I can understand yeah. some people may be missing the first hour. Or you might be dozing a little, little by bit. accident. Yeah. You can always go to kwamradio.com and go back and listen to the podcast whenever you want. That's right. And um, also, if you want to call in but you don't want to be on air, you can just tell our program director, Philip, uh, what you're calling mm-hmm. about, and he can uh, pass it on to us so that way you don't have to be on air. If you're, uh, you know, don't do all that tech stuff. <laughs> You know, like, you have a question, but you I'm don't raising, want to talk on air, and you don't want to do the Facebook thing. Yeah, and I'm raising my hand over here, yeah, right? right, right. But also, like we said in the first hour, uh, we do have a uh, wonderful guest here. In fact, quite a few wonderful guests here, but one I'm sitting down at the table with us, um, Miss Jenny, and she's here to talk about the... Master Gardening Calendar. It's that time of year again. See, now we have the camera that can see everything. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. So I thought... <laughs> Y'all didn't know that, so I thought I may as well just throw that out there. Thanks. That they can see everything. Yeah, they can see it's all now. Thanks for letting us know. Yeah. Goodness. But uh, uh, Jan uh, and Jamie are here, and Miss Jenny's here, and they're, I'm telling you, some of the best people, if you've never met these guys, they are the best. Oh, sorry, I Jan's making, get away from the window, Jan. You're making me laugh. So, <laughs> so I was saying, I, I call this calendar here the best stocking stuffer in the world. And you, Amen. I mean, you have to agree, correct? Yes. Well, let's see if it can roll up. Like, you know, Jim was like, do I want to? But yeah. our stockings are huge. You can fit so. that in the stocking. Yeah, that'll work. Okay, so far so good. Let's All right, keep so going. Jenny, tell us, tell us the deal about this thing in front of me, this uh, 2023 Gardening in the Mid-South calendar here. Well, as you noticed that we changed the name this mm-hmm. year because we felt like that was more appropriate, um, talking about gardening in the Mid-South mm-hmm. rather than just in Shelby County, because yeah. our adjoining counties have the same conditions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, they do. We all garden in. Yes, ma'am. And so that's the reason we changed the name. We gardening did. in the Mid-South. Yes. And, and so, I mean, you know, it's not like you can just think of this and print this thing overnight and have all this information in there. I mean, is this something that y'all, that takes a year to get it done, doesn't it? Well, we work on it all year. Um, We we work on the, uh, trying to come up with articles and things that are different from our years before, Mm -hmm. but are still relevant to what's going on in our uh, area and what is uh, appropriate for our uh, purchasers of the calendar so that they get the information that they can use. Well, I'm sitting here, I opened the page here, and mm-hmm. I see, you know, at the beginning of the calendar, I mean, it says garden bed preparation, and it tells you about the garden beds, the raised beds, the no, uh, the no and low-till vegetable gardens, uh, and it's got annuals, herbs, roses, perennials. I mean, this is a Mid-South Garden Guide within itself right here yeah. in the front of the calendar. It's fantastic. Yeah. Y'all look, I'm putting them both counter, ca- uh there's your vegetable garden um, thing thing to follow. It tells schedule. when. Schedule. Thank you. It tells you what to plant when and all of that. So it's got that. And then um, the pictures are fantastic. And they're all by um, Master Gardeners, too. Now, and that's the bragging rights, isn't it? Oh, yes. Because <laughs> I'm sure y'all get submitted with thousands of pictures. We have, our master gardeners are so great at uh, taking pictures and submitting them. Um, we we just, 
sometimes it comes down to almost World War Three for us to pick <laughs> because we get so yeah. many great pictures, and uh, so so it's a a tough decision Ooh, y'all to put get this a, calendar together. Y'all should get like a. Um, five-year-old or like a 10 you know 10 year old to pick your pictures <laughs> you know that way they can be biased and from the mouth of babes as hold on say. you're you're insinuating that they are biasly picked no no it does sound like i said yes, that it did but I, well, I, yeah. when we're looking at the pictures mm-hmm. uh only one person in that group knows who sent that picture right. in. yeah right. so we really don't know where the mm-hmm. picture came from so and and I'll be honest with you, we have some extremely um, mm-hmm. heated discussions yeah. some days wow. about you know because everybody has an opinion and yeah. so we have to come to a consensus of what we think is really right. the best picture and we look for the clarity of it and mm-hmm. the sharpness of it mm-hmm. so that it it's calendar worthy. Right. And, and yeah, all, see, I was thinking if kids were judging that, save you your World War Three. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's all fun, though. You know, yeah. and, and these uh, ladies and gentlemen that are in the Memphis Area Master Garden, especially the ones that are, you know, involved with the, the calendar, you know, that's probably one of the, to me, that would be one of the, the best things to do is to go through there and pick out, you know, some of the pictures mm-hmm. that are going to be in the calendar. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. There's, uh, they've, y'all have got the websites down for like the conservation, City Beautiful, the farmer's markets, mm-hmm. um, extension contacts, horticultural societies. It's all right here. You can just find it instead of trying to Google and find it. All right. And Jenny, this is the one that I haven't read yet, and I cannot wait to read it. Oh, no. Is the garden myths. I saw that. I'm like, Jim, Jim, <laughs> they've got garden myths in here. He stepped out for a minute, but yes, because garden myths. Just because we've done something for a hundred years doesn't mean it doesn't mean it works <laughs> <laughs> some of us think it does oh, but, yeah. but it's not always um uh, uh, something that that's really going to benefit your plants yes but a lot of these things they're not going to hurt anything but is, a, is it going to help us that's that, the, that's true they don't mm-hmm. they typically don't hurt yeah but they're not of a benefit and so uh you need to do uh, some research when you're <clears throat> planting whatever oh, sure. you're planting because things we've done for a hundred years you know they they probably mm-hmm. will get us by but if you really want to have the best bounty from your vegetables mm-hmm. or the the most blooms and things you, you need to look for um <laughs> extension based information from ut absolutely yeah. and then i turn the page and it says on this one right here it says i want that critter out of my yard <laughs> don't we all <laughs> right right yeah so that you've got some of that uh, information as well and um what things like what mole damage looks like um what armadillo damage looks like and you know why it's so hard sometimes to know what's going on is sometimes they can look similar Oh, yeah. But, they do. But yeah. a critter's a critter, you know, and we all have gone through that before. Whether there is a critter out there, you know, plucking our tomatoes in mm-hmm. our vegetable garden, you know, or whether it's a critter out there digging a hole, you know, to China. You know, I've always said gardening. You mean where those circling sheep are? Exactly. <laughs> I've always said gardening in, in the Mid-South would actually be pretty easy for one for all the critters, you know? Mm. Uh, well, there's a few other things that come well, in. Well, but I'm telling too. you. <laughs> critters are, are really uh, uh, a challenge. And, and so, but my point, though, Jenny, is, you know, just by looking at these few pages in front of the book here, in front of the calendar, it is chalked 
full, y'all, of wonderful information. Uh, and it's common sense information, and it's like backed up with pictures, like we said. So, I mean, come on. It's not just a calendar. It's much more than that. It is. And also, if you look at the back page, you'll see that we have a um, <clears throat> Internet um, page that yeah. you can go to for additional information over and above mm-hmm. what you have in the calendar. Is that new? Is that new? It, that it was, it's been um, available in the last two years. So this, this is something we worked on because... We just couldn't get all the things we wanted to put right. in the calendar on the pages. Yeah. We mm-hmm. wouldn't have been able to pick it up. Yes, exactly, because so. it's really full of information now. So there, if, you're right. It would have been a big catalog. Yeah. And so I did not if, know that. If you go to this, uh, uh, it, it gives it. And so if you purchase the calendar, mm-hmm. then you've got access to oh. this information. Oh, uh-huh. there's a secret. Yeah, <laughs> so there's additional just lots of additional information available so it's it's a and it, and like ken said it is a wonderful christmas mm-hmm. gift oh yes yeah, the best i mean i'm telling you if you don't have one of these in your stocking something's not right especially if you're a gardener right somebody's not listening you right. know that's and true so other than the independent garden centers they don't know you've mm-hmm. got them you know uh we've got them or you've mm-hmm. got some coming yeah. in today or whenever uh, where do people find this this calendar? They can find it online at uh, memphisareamastergardeners.org okay. and purchase it there. Yep. Um, we ha- It's at uh, your store right. at, at Dam West. It's at Veda's. It's at uh, Dabney's. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's several other locations mm-hmm. where we have put them. Um, bookstore? Is, is there a bookstore that I y'all think, have them in? Yes. Uh, yeah. What is it? Novels over yes. on, um, on Perkins uh, over Perkins. there? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And um, it it makes a, just a wonderful opportunity for you to pick up something that's not real expensive, mm-hmm. but yet it's so important to people that garden. Right. It's something that lasts. Well, let's run to a break real quick, and y'all can give us a call if you have questions about it, or just keep listening, because we'll keep talking. We'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We're here with our friends from the Memphis Area Master Gardeners, and we're talking about the Master Gardener calendar, and it's something that you really need to get. Me and my mother always uh, used to exchange calendars for Christmas. Oh, my mother's got to have one of these every year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, it it became a Christmas tradition, and then... um, you know, it's we're, just a good gift. Yeah, and we were talking about how all the wonderful information in front of the calendar before you even get to January, okay? Yeah. But then every month, uh, y'all also have, Jenny, things in there to go with every month, all the information in there month by month by month. It's a guide, like Jan was saying, really for every month of the year. It is. Um, we, we give you uh, things that you should do during that month, uh, things to plant, how to take care of your lawn, how to fertilizer, bloom, prune, and, and, mm-hmm. and other things. And then on the page with the dates on it, we list all of the uh, plant society meetings and things oh. that are scheduled. And those are all open to the public, so everything in here um, – would, would apply to anyone. I see a new one on here, Mid-South Wild Ones. Yes. Is that a new group? That's new. a new group, um, and they are part of a national organization, and they deal with native plants. Oh, 
fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, um, but well, how do I know where they are? Sure. Well, <clears throat> you have um, on the resource page, uh-huh. you have a contact. Oh, okay, gotcha. And, and that way you can contact them and they can tell you when their meetings are, what, where they're located, um, what's going to be covered as the topics for that particular That's great. Day. Madison mm-hmm. Carmack. Yes. Mid-South wild ones. <laughs> I'm thinking, this sounds fun. <laughs> Trust what me. What kind of wild stuff are we going to do? Trust me, with medicine, you are going to have fun. <laughs> oh, this, oh, that kind of medicine, hey? <laughs> yeah, and I'm sitting here, there again, looking at this calendar, guys, by the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. Uh, it's the Gardening in the Mid-South 2023. Uh, this, of course, is this year's calendar. Not, uh, and there again, the, the first of all, the pictures are beautiful. It is a calendar, a working calendar. But it's there again, it's all the information that comes with this thing. We talked about all the great information, all the contact information that you get before you even get to January. And then you get to every month, and it's got all the information in there month by month by month. And then, like Jenny was saying, uh, on the back of the calendar, there's also a webpage, uh, MemphisAreaMasterGardeners.org uh, project slash management calendar. If you go to that, Jenny, you're saying – you can also find out or see a lot more information that's not in the calendar. Yes, because we have so many articles, Mm -hmm. uh, and each year we try to change them um, out, but we also keep them available for people that have purchased calendars, Uh. and they they can go back and look at those articles because, you know, we can't put everything in in one calendar. Of course not. So were you saying that to get um, access to this link that you have to purchase a calendar? Because yes. it'll yeah, Well, this is there? the only place it's published. I got right you. there. It's yeah. on your calendar. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, but you know, I would think with the Memphis Area Master Gardeners, in my mind, when, you, when I just hear that, I'm just thinking, these are wonderful people out there, you know, that have beautiful gardens, and they're really, you know... What I'm telling they, they work on their landscape. Little did I know all the behind the scenes work that's going on. Like you said, you mm-hmm. didn't start this thing last week. Oh no, you no, know, no. It, it it's, it's it's a labor of love. Trust me. And, and what it, the Memphis area master gardeners for people that have not done it. When I say done it. Uh, don't you you go through a class in January? I believe. Yes, each year we have a uh, class that we start in January, mm-hmm. goes through April, and uh, you'll attend the class and, and learn just a lot of information. In fact, it's it's almost overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But but, but, but great people in there, though. Great people, great presentations, great opportunities for you to learn and to participate in volunteering throughout the community. And, mm-hmm. and that's, of course, part of our mission is to uh, educate the community and, and the uh, residents of Tennessee. And I've had ladies come into the Garden Center, Veda, mm-hmm. uh, Jenny, and they were hesitant to even attempt to go through the classes because they're like, oh, my God, I'm going back to school. What if I fail? Yeah. You know, and honestly, it, it, is a, it was a legit concern for them. No, you don't. Yeah. You're not going to oh, fail. We all, every one of us, are always cringing when it comes down to the final test. Yeah. yeah. But you have homework each week. Yeah. And then it's graded while you're in class the next week. And so when you finish You've got all these notes, oh, yeah. and the test covers all that. Yeah. And the test, quite frankly, is is very easy because 
you don't realize how much of this you absorb mm-hmm. because you've got a big interest in what's going on and and so it just I don't know it just seems to creep into your brain and, it, and when you really need does. it it comes out <laughs> it's like Veda said I don't think anybody's ever failed but I've had no, people we no don't allow that's that. my point but I've had I mean I've had people come in and they're like you know, no, I'm not going to be the first one, you know, to fail it. Yeah. I'm like, yo, guys, it's nothing like that. You're just going in there. You're having a great time with these wonderful people that you're around, especially if you love gardening. You're getting all this wonderful information. And the beauty of all of this, you know, is the volunteer work, Jenny, like you said, once you graduate, because mm-hmm. that's part of it. I mean, you, you're out there doing your job. As far as volunteering, and I think that's the most important thing of the whole Memphis Area Master Gardener program is the volunteers that are out there. Yes, and we have a lot of opportunities and that we work within the community. And uh, we have a speakers bureau that uh, goes out and speaks to um, all different kinds of organizations. So if anyone needs someone to come and put on a program, then all you need to do is go to MemphisAreaMasterGardeners.org. And know that. you can look at that and, and um, request a speaker. That'll be great. That will be great. I love all this wonderful information. When your brain gets stuck, a lot of times you just need something to to pull it out, and the, the garden calendar will get you back into the motivation, that's for sure. And if you go into the calendar— Then you'll on, see Kenneth's shoes. I was just going to say— Were you going to say that? No way. I was going to say, if you go to October, <laughs> you can see that Veda's been working really hard because oh, no. she finally took those boots off <laughs> and, and planted some stuff in them. No, they're your shoes. <laughs> I, don't, I think those are Veda's. <laughs> All righty, then. That is a fantastic picture. And let's see. what You know— I was looking at um, how many societies there are in Memphis to actually go to, and it's wonderful. There's the Daylily, the Herb, the Hort Society, Cooper Young Garden Club, African Violet Society, on and on. And so that's the thing is sometimes it's hard to, you know, there's so much in the community to do, and your mind's just going, oh, go here, go there. I got to look that up. I got to find that. Uh, when is that going to be? Oh, I missed it. But with this, it keeps you on track. It's right there in the calendar. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and, and, and you didn't say hosta society and orchid society. I know. I was like, Kenneth, <laughs> you're going to leave somebody. That's <laughs> what I was. I was getting nervous and thinking, uh oh. And, and the hosta people would have been giving you a call, I, I promise you. Okay, let me see. Who else did I miss? No. <laughs> we, I'm al- just kidding. we also list the events that are held at the bottom of that particular page. And don't forget WKNO's mm-hmm. family plot. Oh, yeah. Dr. Chris does such a gorgeous job. I mean, he's just brilliant. And it just um, really gives information across the entire state, actually. Ooh, I didn't say the Ornithological Society. Oh, they're wonderful Boy, also. Isn't that a challenge to yeah, say? Yeah, that's why I was kind of <laughs> rehearsing it. And the family plot, like you said, with Dr. Dr. Cooper in there, um, I told us, telling Vade and Jim, uh, I wasn't here last weekend, but weekend before last, I was looking up something, but I forget about exactly what it was. And the first thing that came up on the Internet was the family plot, okay, that was talking about this particular subject that I was looking up. So I clicked on it, and, of course, who's right there? It was Jim Crowder. I told you. You (laughs) Oh, he was on. (laughs) I'm like, you know, I can't get away from this guy. He's sneaking, isn't he? (laughs) (laughs) But, Jenny, I've been telling you, and and Jan and Jamie and all the master gardeners out there, I mean, y'all – yeah, it, it it is work, and it is definitely a lot of work behind the scenes. But this, to me, is fun work. Oh, you yeah, you know, and absolutely. you're producing it just just the calendar itself. Uh, I mean, it's a great tool for every gardener out there. I'm just telling you guys. I mean, you need everybody. I'm not just trying to push this thing. It is a 
great calendar. And like I said, not only do you get the great pictures in there, you're supporting the, the Master Gardeners to start with, but it's all the wonderful, wonderful information that's in these calendars. And that's the bright light for me, I'm telling you. so It is. There's just, it's crammed full of information. <laughs> and it's got some of the most beautiful pictures. Mm-hmm. So it's just really a, a joy to be able to use it. And, and we all hang it on wherever, you know, you're going to mm-hmm. see it every day. And... Uh, See what you're supposed to be out in the yard yeah. doing. I'll put it there by the coffee pot. <laughs> so you're you're getting the coffee ready, but you're getting into a good thought when you're looking at your garden calendar. Well, like I said, my mother has to have one of these every year. Every yeah. year. Now, she doesn't garden uh, because of rage like she used to, mm-hmm. uh, but you can almost just see her sitting there daydreaming when she's li- reading through this calendar. Yeah. I'm telling you. So remember this, guys. At the independent garden centers, uh, some of the bookstores like Novel, like you said, you can go by and pick up. Gardening in the Mid-South, the 2023 Memphis Area Master Gardener Calendar. And I'm going to say it one more time. It's the best calendar that's out there, I'm telling you, for local gardeners. Well, go ahead. I was just going to say, don't forget to go to the MemphisAreaMasterGardeners.org because mm-hmm. you can purchase one online also. There you all go. Right. Don't have to get out at all. All right, y'all, just hang on a few minutes. You can still give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back. See, doesn't that make you want to walk? Beta's dancing again. I'm telling you she is. All right, so so what are we doing? If you want to give us a call this morning, <laughs> 260-5926, you, you can always shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. And like Veda always does, she tells me, reminds me, you can always go back and listen to the podcast, kwamradio.com, streaming live all the time, Miss Veda. And we've had some great guests in here this morning uh, from the Memphis Area Master Gardeners, uh, Jan, Jamie, and Jenny. And we're talking about the Memphis Area Master Gardener catalog. I mean, the uh, calendar. But uh, (laughs) also, Jamie had some things that he wanted to pass along, some information that's relevant with the Memphis Area Master Gardener program. Right. I just wanted to explain that that congratulations to the people who were selected, you know, for this year's class. Yes. The 23 class. They had their orientation last weekend, Uh last Saturday. Mm -hmm. And it's a great process you have to go through. First of all, I want to explain that uh, you apply in June and July. And how do you do that, Well, Jamie? On the the web page, there's an application form there. You can fill it out and go on, do it online or whatever. You can go by the Master Gardener office, which is uh, at 777 uh, White uh, Walnut Grove. Walnut Grove. Yeah. Walnut Grove Road. Okay. Uh, and pick up a paper, paper pick form. Pick up a form there, and then you could get that one done. Now, here's where the aggravation comes in, and because, you, you know, you want, you've made up your mind you want to do this. So, anyway, you fill out the application in June and July. And you sit on pins and needles, and you mm-hmm. wait. Well, I wonder what happened. You yeah. Know, I wonder what happened to my application. I come ahead and heard something, you know. Right. right. Instant, you want it done now, right? Of course. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> and then you have to wait until uh, October, you know. Okay. You fill out in June, and you're sitting on pins and needles, you know, and you're waiting. And, and don't hear a thing until. 
you're trying to call the office, won't nobody talk uh-huh. to you about it, or whatever, <laughs> they don't know yet. Yeah. So anyway, and you won't find out until uh, middle of October whether okay. or not you've been selected for the class. Now, it's not selected on merit or anything. It's just selected on the number, sheer number of people. Yes. So because it can only hold so many every right. year. Right. Okay. Well, anyway, then you're, you're hoping that you, you're selected. Then you've got to go through an interview process. It'll be two master gardeners like Jenny and myself or whatever. We'll meet you at the library or whatever mm-hmm. and talk to you and, and just, you know, ask about what your interests are, why you could best serve, you know, the master gardener program. So anyway, you get that done and you say, okay, now, now I got to wait. So you wait till the middle of October, and then you get a little letter from Dr. Cooper that says, you've been selected for the class. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, boy, we're ready to, we sure to charge now. Yeah. We're ready to go out and plow something up. <laughs> so anyway, we wait, to, we wait till the middle of October, and they say, okay, you've been selected, yeah. and your orientation will be, it was last weekend, which was the 11th, somewhere around the 10th or 11th of November. So you get to go to the orientation, you know, and you get all charged up, and Dr. Cooper's there beating you, whoa, we're waiting, y'all the best class we ever seen, and, <laughs> and this is going to be a great year. So anyway, and so anyway, you get through the orientation, you go home, you want to cut a tree down now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're ready to plow something up. So anyway, then uh, you go through the orientation, and you don't start school until the uh, first weekend in January. Oh, yeah. Lord. So you go through this whole Christmas season or whatever, and then you don't, you don't, you know, you're ready to get started. And then you're listening to us talking about the calendar, <laughs> yeah. and you're even wanting to go out there worse. Oh, that's great. But so anyway. you hurry up You hurry up to wait, what you yes, do. absolutely. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then you finally get to start the school in, in the first week in, in January. So there's an awful lot of hurry up and wait. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that so, like the military? Hurry up and wait? <laughs> yeah, hurry up and wait. But, but there again, I mean, if you, if you have every year you have more applicants apply than there is room yes, for the program. So it's not like you get rejected if you don't get, you know, in that year. You just resubmit the next year right. because you can only take so many applicants. And it's, it's one through whatever. It's not like they're picking and choosing who gets in. So no one's ever rejected, I would say, from it. It's just that, there again, the class sizes can only hold so many people. So if you don't get in, say, this year, then do it again next year. Uh, because, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, a test score to get into college. Yeah. Okay? Right. You can get into the Memphis Area Master Gardener Program. But you might not just get called that first year because of the sheer numbers of people that are trying to get in. How many? Yeah, we should yet let you all know also that you do volunteer hours. And so that's something to consider because sometimes it may not be the right year for you to participate because you're not going to be able to volunteer that much. That's true. We have, uh, in order to be a master gardener, each year we have to contribute 40 hours of volunteer service in the community and so sometimes that makes it hard for some people because Mm -hmm. some people still work actively and uh, some people are retired so you have a a a varied uh very diverse group Mm -hmm. now are y'all expecting them to to do the 40 hours every week right every (laughs) (laughs) that would be absolutely great would that not be perfect it's 40 hours per year (laughs) that doesn't sound like a lot but it is when you're trying to squeeze everything in so think about that too because i i bet y'all have some people that are all ready to go and then when you go through the interview process they're thinking "Eh, i can't do the volunteering well our interview process is is not an actual um 
interview for the position, yeah. so yeah, to speak, right. yeah. what we're doing is we're trying to make the applicant comfortable and to understand what the Master Gardener organization is all about. And we try to keep them, uh, get them uh, educated as to what's going to be required. And mm-hmm. as you said, make them aware that they are going to have to volunteer in order to maintain their master gardener status. Jenny, how many people approximately are in a class every year? I mean, is it a hundred or is it? No, we we have a, a. I think it's a threshold of uh, about fifty. Okay. So Not, we usually end up with mm-hmm. with forty eight something like okay. that. Okay. But we usually have. Uh, at least 90 to 115 applicants right. each year. And that's what I meant because, uh, you know, I've heard, I've had people say, well, I, I, I tried to get in and I couldn't. And I'm like, it's not that you can't get in. Anybody can get in. It's just that you might not be able to get in that particular year because of the sheer number of applicants that are out there. And only like you just said, yes. it only holds, what, around 50 people. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Yes. Well, we have a caller. Todd, Todd Starnes. He's the owner of the station. Good morning, Todd. Thanks for calling us this morning. <laughs> hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Todd. Good uh, morning to you. Hey, you got a lot of people listening to you guys out at the Sugar Run on Wolf River Parkway. And I uh, wanted to give uh, the, the great folks out here raising awareness for diabetes. Mm. About 400 runners are out here, and it is 29 degrees, guys. <sighs> Frigid uh, cold. Wow, there must be gardeners also. That is awesome. They're up early this morning. You know, the sugar run for diabetes. I love the name. Are you running? Yeah. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. no. Uh, but uh, Ben Dieter is our morning news oh. anchor, and uh, you know he is. You know he's a, a long distance runner. He so is. we're pulling for Dieter. Uh, Caleb Park is running, and we're actually manning the KOM booth and. Uh, I'm not sure if this is appropriate, but we're actually giving away Rice Krispie Treats at the Diabetes <laughs> <laughs> Todd, I love it. Yeah. Now, can anybody come by and, uh, you know, you said you got the booth out there. If I wanted to just to come by sometimes this morning, exactly where is it, Todd? Well, and it's, we're, we're right off of Wolf River Boulevard okay. across. From uh, across from uh, Stern Cardiology. Yep. Uh, Germantown PD has Wolf River Parkway uh, blocked because that's where the race is going to happen in about 15 minutes or so. So if you're in the neighborhood, come out and say hello to the KWAM team. And in the meantime, we're just really having a great time listening to uh, Mid South Gardening. All right. Thanks. Todd, we hey, love you, buddy. Stay bundled up. When we were at the 75th um, anniversary for KWAM, and y'all, y'all had something where it was KWAM all about Memphis. I can't yeah, remember. KWAM stands for We Are Memphis. K W A M. We That's are it. Memphis. We are Memphis. Right, right. So you're doing the Memphis thing. Thank you, Todd. We love it. And the poinsettias look great, Beta. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for calling. Thanks for calling in <laughs> to your own station. <laughs> Todd, we appreciate it, buddy. Stay warm and we're pulling for Ben. Will do. Thanks. Bye bye, Todd. Thanks, bud. And, wow. uh, hey, I'm going to go by there and grab a Rice Krispie treat. Oh, yeah, but I love right. that. The Sugar Run, which is a great event, is running for diabetes. Uh, and like you said, I've seen Ben, who anchors the morning show, mm-hmm. uh, I've seen pictures of Ben on Facebook. And every time I see him, he's like in, in running gear. Oh, really? so. yeah. And then he said Caleb also is, is, is a runner. So right. I guess we got to get our running shoes ready. Yeah.
Boy, do we. All right, so the so Master Gardener calendars are going to be available this week. They're available. They so are available until December the 9th. December the 9th. Yes. I, and that's a kind of a weird tax thing, mm-hmm. so you got to get them now. And I do but we can buy them after December 9th. Oh, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Retail, it's yeah. just that we can't purchase Order anymore them. until yeah. uh, you know after December right. the 9th. Right. They'll be available in the retail stores. Gotcha. Well, Jenny, yeah, we love you to time. death. You know. One other, one sure. other point. Uh, we do have... A Master Gardener Presents activity that's going to be held at the Memphis Botanic Garden Mm -hmm. on February the 18th from 9 to 12. We'll have some excellent speakers. It's open to the public, so we encourage everyone to participate. Great. Thanks for passing that on. All right, y'all, we're running to a break. If you have any questions, call us at 260-5926. And we have some questions on Facebook Live, so we'll get to those, too. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could join us this morning. We've had a good time with our guests, the Master Gardeners from Mid-South Master Garden um, area, Mid-South Master Gardeners, all that, you know. Um, Jim, were you out running with uh, Todd on the diabetes thing? No. I mean, you know, you're I'm doing the diabetes part, but not the running part. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay, so we had a Facebook texter. Oh, best time to plant bulbs this is from Sonia. Best time to plant bulbs, and do they need to be chilled now and planted later? That was in Good my question. notes uh, today. Is actually talk about uh, bulbs, and on my front page right here, I got plant bulbs now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And all that means is, you know, the the soil temperatures are cool enough now to where we can go ahead and get the bulbs in there, and not really have to worry so much about warm temperatures teasing mm-hmm. them out of the ground prematurely. And this is all the minor bulbs, is the uh, the bigger bulbs like the uh, the daffodils, the tulips. All of those you can go ahead and start putting in the ground now, okay? Because the soil temperatures there again are cooling up. Uh, this is the perfect time of year to do it. In fact, a lot of people, <laughs> Veda, will purposely wait till around Thanksgiving to do it, okay? Uh, so take advantage of the decent weather. It's still a little chilly out there, but take advantage of the decent weather we have. It's, the ground's not muddy, sloppy, muddy, wet. So it's easier to dig, get that bulb in there. But to answer your question, right now is the best time to start getting those bulbs. Now, when she talked about do they need to be pre-chilled, you know, I don't mind buying bulbs early in the season and sticking them down in the crisper or the refrigerator uh, to get that chill even before I plant. But if you go ahead and get them in the ground now, you're going to have the rest of the winter for the soil temperatures to chill the bulb before they bloom next spring. Right. So the winter is chilling the bulb for you. I always say, though, if you get your bulbs early, the best place to store them mm-hmm. is in the refrigerator where they are getting that chill, and it's just a good place to store them regardless. So, yes, get them in the ground now. Uh, the winter's going to chill them for you, and they'll bloom just perfectly fine next year. Exactly. We had, and y'all did this too, all our amaryllis came in, but they were trying to uh, sprout sooner than we wanted. So we we have like fridge. one, two, three, I think we have five refrigerators in, in the whole campus at work, and all of them have bulbs yeah, in it. And I put notes do. on the, each one, no fruit, no fruit in the refrigerator. And they're coming to me going, when? Yeah. When I are you getting these bulbs fruit? out of here? Yeah, yeah, so now it's time. And you, like you just said, Veda, the bulbs that really, the only two that really don't need for example, a, a chill before they bloom are the amaryllis and the paper whites. But those are the ones we're usually forcing to bloom indoors. You don't have to pre-chill those whatsoever. They don't need to go through a chilling process on our end 
uh, to get them to bloom. So keep that in mind. Which bulbs did you do? You've got all your bulbs in the ground, don't you? Yeah, pretty much everything's planted. You know, now that I'm living in one room, there's not much room. So. Oh, one other thing you mentioned, uh, the Hosta Society actually no longer exists. I don't know if you knew that or not. I did not. Yeah, oh. it has been absorbed by the Memphis Horticultural Society. Oh, the Horse okay. Society, okay. Right, so they are kind of a subdivision of it. I did not know that. Yeah, that's the reason you won't see them listed on the I calendar. know, I kept thumbing through going, um, wait, we said Hosta Society, but what happened? Yeah. So they're... Part of the horticultural society. What, right. what all is a horticultural society? Well, the horticultural society is covers just about everything. They have a, a wide variety of speakers, uh, and they have some subgroups. I think they have one now that was like what Carl Kasel had years ago, where they get together and talk about a particular book, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing. And uh, so there are little subdivisions of each. Um, but it's uh, it's the most important thing is you've got a wide variety of different um, gardeners who have focused on different things, mm-hmm. and uh, and the foods are really good. <laughs> right, the foods are really <laughs> thank goodness. You always have it. to have multi reasons <laughs> yeah. to go places, right. and good foods definitely <laughs> a good reason to go. So uh, <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's it's well worth you know at least visiting and uh, and seeing some of their speakers. You know, we were talking about planting the bulbs a second ago, yeah. and I told you one of the, I'm not going to say a myth, but one of the things I was going to also talk to you about is, you know, I don't mind feeding my bulbs when I put them in the ground, okay? Whether that's bulb tone, biospoma, or a bulb food. But for a hundred years, people have also used bone meal, me included, including my mom, I tell you about, you know, because she loves to garden. And she, bone meal is the remedy for anything that's ailing in the garden, okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> for my mom. But I was for reading, your mom. <laughs> but I was reading this article, though, and, and y'all let me know what y'all think about it. It says some people don't use bone meal because of the excessive amounts of phosphate. Uh, and most of our soils already have excessive amounts of phosphate in our soil, especially here in the Mid-South. Because excessive amounts of phosphate can inhibit the fungal growth, in this case, the mycorrhizal growth. Mm-hmm. Um, it says recent research on milorganite, okay, uh, which is a slow-release nitrogen-type fertilizer, found it helps that the phosphorus, the phosphates that are in the soil, and potassium that's bound to the soil, more available for plant use. So I guess my mm-hmm. point is, this article that I was reading said you might not necessarily need something like bone meal because of the it's got it's got calcium and phosphate in it because if you don't want a too much phosphate in the soil Mm -hmm. and a lot of the phosphate that's in the soil stays there for a very 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 long time but this research they were doing with milorganite if you put it down and it's more of a low nitrogen type organic fertilizer you are getting the mycorrhiza or the fungal growth from that fertilizer mm-hmm. that makes the phosphate more available right. than, say, bone, bone meal, meal, which is phosphate. Well, I know Jim's got some good information on that, but I never used bone meal when planting my bulbs and all. I just figured if I had some good soil, it could get everything it needed from that. But, Jim. Well, you know, I have found through the years that if it's not steamed bone meal, which is the consistency of talc, you're going to get very little phosphorus out of it. Most of what we see is ground bones, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, that's the size of sand or a little smaller, yeah. uh, and it will still be recognizable in, you know, 200 years. 
So yeah. you wow. get you get very little phosphorus from bone meal. Make you feel better, go ahead and put it down. But it's you're not going to get significant benefit from it unless it's a steamed bone meal. I'm guessing as time progressed throughout, I mean, we used what was available and got some out of it. But as time progresses, we have more things to choose from so we can change our gardening strategies. I have to agree with that. I mean, because back then, I mean, when I say back then, years ago, mm-hmm. I mean, bone meal was readily available, which it still is. I mean, and, and, and we're not rec- saying bone meal is recommended. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not saying it's a bad thing whatsoever. It's not going to hurt anything. Yeah, you can't you do anything but help. In retail, we would have all our bulb display, and then there would be bone meal and blood meal. Bone meal and blood meal. Make sure you get that when you go. And the reason, it sounds like a really good idea. Yeah. You know, but in the last, particularly 20 years or so, we're really looking at the science behind all these fertilizers and what we're doing and finding out that it's, you know, although it sounded like a good idea, it may not be giving you the benefit. And, that you and think it, that it, it was. Mm-hmm. Would. Yeah, so. But, man, th- and there again, we all know, we've all seen the soil test analysis that have always been run here in Shelby County. And typically speaking, I don't think I've ever seen one Mm-hmm. where the phosphate levels were not off the chart, yeah. okay? So we typically have high phosphate levels around here, period. Yeah. You know, but I thought it was pretty interesting that they were doing these research studies on milorganite, for example, and milorganite made the phosphate and the, uh, the potassium more readily available uh-huh. to the plant. right. You know, go well, figure that like one out. The, the microorganisms and all that working in the soil can do so much more than we even think about. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, amazing. You know, we always thought adding iron, you know, is good for plants. And then if they turned yellow, mm-hmm. chlorosis, that they may need iron. Well, in many cases, we're finding that if, if the soil is excessively wet, which in theory would free up the iron and make it more available, what actually happens is it also frees up the phosphorus, which binds with the iron, which prevents it from... Stay there. (laughs) Uh, Just like manure. (laughs) (laughs) Combos happen. Keep it simple. We'll be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And give us a call at 260-5926. You can, and you can also shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, uh, like Mr. Brad McCallum did here. He said, uh, he's got a vine. Okay, that's mm-hmm. growing on a trellis. And the trellis is next to a brick wall. And clearly this vine that's growing on the trellis has outgrown the trellis. It's attached itself to the brick wall. And it sounds like that Brad doesn't want, because I can't see a picture, Brad doesn't want the vine on the brick wall. So is it something, y'all, he, had, uh, he suggested two things. Should he just pull the vine off of the wall and kind of twist it going back down into the trellis? Or should he just cut it at the top of the trellis and, and pull it off the wall and throw that away? Okay. But what do you think, Vanna? Well, I'm thinking if you got the trellis because you wanted to put a vine on the trellis, then you should just cut everything off and 
off the side yeah. so it doesn't and continue. Yeah, and it won't hurt it. Okay. No, and, 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 and that's what you want to do too. Yeah, that's and exactly could, what I want to do. Yeah, okay, and you could twist it back down because clearly. Brad doesn't want this growing on the brick yeah. wall. Right. He wants it just on the trellis. Well, if you think about vines, in my point of view, they always tend to be thicker at the top. They yeah, do. True. Because they're naked at the bottom because that's the way they grow. Yeah. Well, to me, I would pull them off, weave them back down through the trellis. They're going to sprout all through there and fill mm-hmm. that up. And if you cut it at the top, that's exactly where it's going to sprout. Mm-hmm. And it's going to go right back to the wall yeah. again. And you're creating more foliage at top, which shades the bottom, which makes it mm-hmm. thinner. Right. So I would just pull it off, weave it back down through it, and uh, and I think, to me, that's the best option. Well, see, I would think so that, that would sense. work, too. I've done that before. <laughs> I have, too. But I've never went back to see the longevity of it. Yeah. So you're, and so, you're and thinking, sometimes you'll break them. I mean, and yeah, they'll, they'll die anyway. I mean, you know, it depends <laughs> yeah. on how pliable it is. But well, Whether you cut it or break it, either way. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and what I always like to try to do is I like to try to use a vine that is not self-adhesive. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and usually it's a tropical. That's a clinger. Yeah, a clinger. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, is it a clinger? clinger. That's a clinger oh, I know versus self, a twiner. I know some self-adhesive people. Yeah, with, but the vines <laughs> that are self-adhesive, I mean, once they get off the trellis, they're going to get on the wall and stick to the wall. Ivy, mm-hmm. for example. Boston ivy, another Creep example. Creeping fig. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to stick. They don't need something to grow on like a trellis tube uh, for support. But... Um, Even on the ones that aren't self-adhesive, a lot of times you'll get the vine, depending on how fast they grow, you know, start outgrowing the trellis that they're on. And I have weaved them back down. But always remember, a plant's not going to naturally, a vine is not going to naturally grow downward. Well, so like... You've got to wind it in there. I'm thinking of the ones that are self-adhesive or the ones that you're wanting to prune off of the wall. The ones that aren't, that just grow long tendrils, that's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's <laughs> I heard that that is uh, weaving it into the uh, trellis right but good. even in this case in, in Brad's case the ones that are that are sticking to the brick wall he can pull them off the wall mm-hmm. and like Jim was saying kind of weave them back towards the the bottom yeah. and they're going to grow back up and that makes it just thicker yeah yeah so oh you know what though is oh it's so difficult i hate to do it sometimes it's so difficult but when the vines grow and grow and grow and they're not maintained um mm. throughout the season and then all of a sudden you've just got these big clumps of just vines a rat's and, nest. yeah it's a and the only thing you can do is prune it to the ground yeah. and just Let clean yeah and, and and it comes back fast so y'all don't stress over and brad that. can do this also so your three options are to one cut it to the ground and let it just regrow and take over the trellis two is trim the outline of the trellis like you were talking about veda and like jim said if you do that though you're going to get all the new growth from where you trim Mm -hmm. so you it's going to be an ongoing problem and then three is you can pull those vines off of the wall weave them back down and through the trellis and then do some uh, you know just pruning here and there where you need to to keep it maintained right so that's not so much. Um, red twig dogwoods. I thought of an idea for container gardens, and it actually came from Jim, but you don't know it yet. 
So you grow you grow the red twig and the yellow twig dogwoods for the twigs, not so how it looks pretty in the summer, you know, not the attributes that it gives. And because it's a food plant for a number of moths and butterflies. Oh, that's good. So people that have never seen a red twig dogwood, this is not your typical dogwood no, tree. Then it looks like a bush. It's a shrub. And, and it's a sun lover. It also mm-hmm. loves water. Yeah. So it, if you've got a wet, sunny place, that's the best place to put it. Well, what I'm going to do is, okay, so one of the Christmas things when you're doing porch pots is yellow twigs and red twigs. You buy them or you cut them from your own yard and put them down in the containers to go with all your green stuff and all. Well, two things. One is I'm actually going to just plant the one-gallon red twig dogwood in the container mm-hmm. instead of cutting the twigs off yeah. and then putting them in because... After Christmas is over, those red twigs you just throw away or something. Mm-hmm. But if you plant the plant in the container, you've got the red twigs sticking up through, and then you can add your greens and your bows and all of that. And then next uh, season, when do you cut yours back? Because don't you cut them all the I way I do, back? in the spring. Well, okay. I enjoy the red twigs all through the, the wintertime, and mm-hmm. then when I start to see them sprout, they go back to the ground. Yeah. So, see, I did not know you could do all that, which makes me love the red twig plant more because I was thinking, I don't like it so much because it doesn't look good all the time. But <laughs> if I want the red twigs and the, the summer and in, winter entrance and all that, then cutting it back is going to make it look better. Yeah, in yeah. this particular shrub, you usually don't see the red twigs until, uh, until it starts to cool yeah. off. Yeah. And Jim, and what if you didn't cut them back? You would have the old tissue that was in there, and it just doesn't turn as red as that, that's right. that new uh-huh. tissue. The older stuff's not near as red. Right. Uh, it's still red, but the first-year growth is always the reddest. So and that's, that's why the you reason you just take it all mm-hmm. off and let it come back. Well, see, I'd ordered um, a bunch of one-gallon to have the the nice winter interest and then i thought well you know i can just cut the twigs off all the containers the one gallon containers use them in my christmas you, you decorations. could do that actually yeah yeah and use it in my christmas decorations or like but now that i'm like okay well let me just plant them cut them back like jim does and then let them re-sprout and they're still a good height in your container or you haven't wasted money because i could cut the twigs off the one gallon container and still sell them for the same price that you're selling them in the container and it's one of these plants where they're almost just basically inconspicuous you don't pay any attention to them whatsoever until you start seeing those beautiful red twigs in the winter time, and you're not going to kill them in a container because they're extremely cold hardy. Yeah, they uh-huh. they do quite well up into zone three. Awesome. Uh, so you know they're not going to freeze. And what about the yellow water. twig dogwood? Are they basically the same concept mm-hmm. as Pretty the much. red twig? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I've got some yellow twigs too. I saw a really cool looking. Um, porch decoration where it was a container and they had red and yellow red twigs sticking out and had added some artificial silver stuff in there too and then had a lot of christmas balls around the bottom oh great look yeah great look but you can still do the same thing you can still plant the red twig and then still do all that layering around it Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to come up with ways that you're not wasting money and you're, you, because you can grow so much stuff in your yard to use for your fall and Christmas decorations. And, um, that even, being one of them, yeah. For sure. And then you've got to get the, uh, service bear, I mean, the, um, possum hall hollies. Yeah. No. Deciduous hollies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all Winter those. berries and possum halls. Yeah. You've got to have some of those. And, and we have a file on that too in our, uh, 
in our Facebook group, oh. so it tells you make sure that you get the right pollinator to go mm-hmm. with them so they have berries. Oh, that's Most good. Most hollies are either male or female. A few are both on the same plant, and a few are all female and produce berries without the help of a little boy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But in deciduous hollies, you have to have the correct male to bloom at the same time. Right. Yeah. Like when a berry has a certain pollinator it needs. Right. Um Possum Hall has one. Exactly. So when I ordered the deciduous hollies, I ordered a male and a female, the the ones that go together. And also, this is where I'm going with the Christmas present. You can get the red berry ones for the men, and you can get camellias for the moms. Let's just fix that real quick. So I'm going to solve your Christmas for your family. The Christmas, the garden calendar. Yeah. Um, a red twig. No, not a red twig. A uh, winter berry for your dad. A deciduous holly. Yeah. A camellia for your camellia uh-huh. for your mom, and then we can go over the garden tools later uh-huh. after this break. Two six zero five nine two six, or post a question on Facebook Live. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back. So we were talking about plants that you can plant for wildlife. And I was we've always talked about the flowering, the things that can attract beneficials and all. But say, for instance, there's all the ground critters. And I'm not just not talking about the squirrels and the raccoons and all, but just the wildlife. And so you also want to have in your landscape some lower evergreens, but not like a, a yopon holly that's real dense. Mm-hmm. But you want to, so, so there can be some protection on the ground because uh, birds and all that eat things off the ground too. So if they've got a protection they can run to quickly, and then plus, they can jump up on them and perch oh, sure. as well. So we need the evergreens for the protection from the wind and, and places for them to nest and, and hide. And like the long needle things are good for that. The holly, since their leaves are so waxy, they'll, they'll repel the rain more. So um, you can put wildlife in, and put wildlife in there. Wildlife will like to live there. Um, then there's the low ones for the wildlife to live in. But then we always think of we need everything evergreen and coverage, but we do need deciduous plants because mm-hmm. the birds, I mean, you look outside and you see a beautiful cardinal on, on a tree that has no leaves and it's so pretty, but the birds are warming up too. They need somewhere to perch to warm as well. Yeah, they're smart enough. They they know where to go, you know, for, for shelter, no doubt about it. As long it. as we can provide it for them. And then when you're attracting all these other good critters, that's going to help uh, reduce some things that we don't really need in the garden. Well, and speaking of evergreens, you know, I had a customer call me the other day. He was ta- We were talking about boxwoods, which are an evergreen shrub, of course. And there's so many on the market now. Uh, and one of the things, of course, that can affect some of our boxwoods is the boxwood leaf miner. Okay, that's mm. where you know, in the a wasp or the, the little flying little insect injects <laughs> the that eggs. Flying? Yeah, flying. <laughs> yeah, injects the eggs in the uh, in the leaf, and you get these little green larvae in between the tissue mm-hmm. uh, on a leaf, and you see the swelling, the ballooning. Sometimes you see the exit holes, but it makes a boxwood look pretty horrible. And that's typically from boxwood leaf miner. Well, the question the gentleman asked me, he said uh, he's got some boxwoods that definitely had damage from boxwood leaf miner. Mm-hmm. In fact, there are little larvae can be in there now, okay? 
they're not going to be that active in cold weather, but they're still in there. And he said, can I do anything to my boxwoods right now to help kill or prevent leaf miner? And one of the things he brought up was the tree and shrub insect drench, the same product that we use on the crepe myrtles to kill the crepe myrtle bark scale. And what I told the gentleman was, if you've got boxwoods and you've had boxwood leaf miner and you think you can have some that are uh, in there now, you can definitely go out there this time of year and spray a systemic insecticide, okay? And the leaf will absorb that, that uh, chemical. Uh, orthene acephate is the one that typically we use. Uh, but now you can also go out there in early March, just like we would on our crepe myrtles to kill scale, use that same tree and shrub insect drench, the product that you mix and pour on the root system uh, there again in early March and pour that on the boxwoods. And then the reason I love the drench more than anything is that one application is going to last you for the whole growing season. And it yeah. does a great job in controlling, you know, a lot of these leaf miners. So whether you're spraying with a systemic insecticide or whether you're using a drench, uh, you definitely want to use something that is completely systemic. A lot of people would do both. They'll yeah. go out there and spray on a decent day, um, you know, like this time of year, and then come back and use a drench in the uh, early March. Right. And we always say, too, that uh, the healthier you can keep any plant or in the proper environment, then you'll have less amount of issues or the issues are easier to control so also just check and see if there's mulch piled too high if there's water standing too long um, are they getting the right the, amount of sun yeah. or are they in too much sun and they shouldn't be right. because there's so many different boxwoods out there now yeah exactly so check all those issues too because you can definitely kill the insects with the systemic but we're wanting to not have to do that all the time so if you can change the environment to be more conducive to your plant that's good i mean it could be even mineral deficiencies oh, sure. because you know boxwood society has that mixture that they always mix together which now we pretty much can get it in the plant it could be tone. the ph is way off yeah. i mean boxwoods believe it or not is a shrub that won't say higher ph that's why we typically add that lime if not every year every other year uh, around the shallow root system of these boxwoods. So you're right. It can, it's usually some kind of some. It could be some environmental factor. Uh, it can be a lack of light or too much light. Usually, it's something else going on because we all know the weaker the shrub, mm -hmm. the more susceptible they are to insects and disease, yeah. including leaf miner. Okay, so what are we going to do with this? I know we've had some warnings before. So, like when I'm doing all my Christmas pots, wreaths, and everything, I find thick boxwoods and I take twigs out of the boxwood, you yeah. know, prune them in, which, which is, uh, the cloud look. Yeah. Thinning, thinning, thinning thank them out. You. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thinning them out. But I'm using those in designs like where you're pushing them down in the soil to go with your red twig boxwoods or yeah. red twig dogwoods. But are we in worry of spreading fungal things to our other boxwoods well i mean i've got some wintergreen boxwood i've had they were in the house when i moved in you know and the house was built back in 2000 back in 2000 actually and there's like five or six wintergreen boxwoods that are around this bay window mm -hmm. uh, that faces due east so it gets full morning sun now i do go in there and i actually shear mine uh, with a pair of shears and they look like, you know, beach balls, yeah. okay? And they're real thick, Veda, and they're real tight. Uh, and I, you know, haven't had a, uh, a leaf miner problem, per se, in those. Uh -huh. 
because they're extremely healthy plants. Even though I probably shouldn't share them the way I mm-hmm. do, honestly. Uh, yeah, but, yeah but, but there again, though, now if these were, say, some type of other boxwood, I might not be able to get away with the way I prune these. They might mm-hmm. need more of that air circulation yeah. in there. Or if they had overhead irrigation, mm-hmm. you know, they might need more of that air circulation. So it all every every little bed is different. It's, right. a, it's like a microclimate in every bed that we have. And just because it does good in my yard the way I have it doesn't mean it's going to do well mm-hmm. in your yard because it's different. Yeah, yeah, it's different. And I had heard that, like, we could possibly spread fungal spores from um, the cuttings that we take maybe from somebody else's yard or that are ordered in and we're putting them in our wreath. And then uh, next thing you know, your boxwoods and well, have a problem. Yeah, what's and going on? I mean, there is a new danger out there and it's called boxwood blight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and you, you and I both know Veda, back in, in Jim, in East Tennessee and even the Carolinas, it's been a bad problem. And, of course, like everything else, it seems like everything that they get, it migrates towards us. And there have been three or four cases of boxwood blight here in Shelby County. Yeah. And one of the things is, if you read about it, like you're saying, Veda, the spores on boxwood blight are really thick and heavy and sticky. Okay, so that's good. So, yeah, so, but, it, but if, you, yeah, but if you've got people uh, out there maintaining other people's yards— and let's say they've been cutting boxwoods in other people's yards, and then they come to your yard and cut your boxwoods. Well, that sticky spore, that's really sticky, can be on the equipment that they use. Mm-hmm. So you can move that boxwood blight around that way. Right. So you got to be careful nowadays on who's taking care of your boxwoods, especially the pruning mm-hmm. part, and are they really cleaning these tools in between every job. Right. So if um, I'm getting or cutting box wood or thinning it to do wreaths and things like that. Right. If there was that problem on the boxwood, since it's real sticky, it would actually just stay. It oh, wouldn't sure. blow around and, and get on my other boxwoods. No, no. I've so had, you're, had so you're fine there. Well, good. Don't want to have to change my Christmas decorating strategies. And also, and Jim, you mentioned, uh, this is from Wendy Johnston, uh, who sent a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. She said, we have a native um, uh, a possum hall, male possum hall. What female should we get to have better berries? Um, now, it's the female that does the berries. That's right. So she's got the female already then. Mm-hmm. But is there a particular male, like Southern Gentleman or one of those, that's going to be best for a typical possum hall as far as the male part? Yes, but you know you need to make sure that you have... That you what you have is a possum hall right. or winterberry, and that's going to be key because they got to bloom. If it's a um, possum oh. hall, any English holly or American holly that's in bloom will pollinate. Whether it's a Burford or Savannah or no, any of Chinese, those, that's a Chinese holly. It has to be an American holly, like um, uh, East Palatka or something like that. Those bloom at the same time, so they'll pollinate them. So if it's a possum hall, you're saying there are typically enough hollies out there already Usually. to pollinate the possum hall. Right. Now, with a winterberry, you've got to have a different one, and that's like Southern Gentleman. Or Jim Dandy, I uh, think. Jim Dandy's a little dwarf one, I think, uh, and there's a couple others. 
Um, I'll try to pull up the list here in just a minute. Yeah. And, and, oh, were you uh, trying to find that on? I was trying one? to find it on your phone. Yeah, but so it just really depends. My on phone's acting up and won't open the file this morning. So, so. it really <laughs> depends on the if it's truly a possum haul. Any American holly will pollinate that possum haul. Yes. If it's a sparkleberry, winterberry, one of those. But you need to know which one that's because right. that's going to dictate which male you need to go with. Right. If you're not sure, plant one of each. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't have too many. Right. <laughs> you really can't. Plant so a couple should, more females, too, while you're doing it. Right. Should it, So should I rely on other hollies around to get those red berries? Well, it kind of depends on where you are. I mean, if there's wooded area, then there's chances are that you've got the true... Uh, Alex Opaca, which is the really thorny one that gets mm-hmm. 12, 15 feet higher or taller, yeah. um, probably somewhere around you that would be in blue. Well, oh, time for a break. We'll, we'll pull the list up here and we'll go over them when we come back here. You're listening to KWAM at South Gardening. Give us a call 260 Welcome back, gardeners. Glad y'all can join us today, 260-5926. You can find me at Palladio Garden on Central Avenue in Memphis. Yes, you can. You can find me at Dan West Garden Center, and you can find Mr. Jim over here. On our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, I'm there all the time. So, got a question, just send it to me. If you've got one for Kenneth or Veda, send it to me, and I'll mm-hmm. get it to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you want to give us a call here on the radio show, 260-5926. Sorry, Veda. Yeah, we were talking about deciduous hollies. I got the file open here. Now, this is on our on our Facebook group page under files and for deciduous hollies. Uh, basically, you have uh, two types of, of deciduous hollies. You have the possum haws, which are Alex decidua, and you have the winterberries, which are, is Alex verticillata. Now, there are also some hybrids of those. Sparkleberry is a hybrid, Alex verticillata. Right. Um, so the in possum haws, the most commonly available you're going to find is Warren's Red. Which is the female. That's a and female. So that's, that's what Wendy would be looking for if she wanted a female right. possum haw. Or if you buy a Red Escort, which is a Red Escort, gets to be about 12 feet tall. It's a male. You can plant it, or any American holly, any Alex opaca, will pollinate a possum haw. So the the wild, sticky holly that you find in the woods, that's an Alex opaca. We have greenleaf hollies. You have uh, East mm-hmm. Palatka hollies. Uh, there are a lot of these hollies around, so you're much fairly likely to have some pollination. A pollinator already out there now, somewhere. The closer you get a pollinator, the more berries you're likely to have. Mm-hmm. You know, I, preferably, I'd like to have one within 50 feet or so of your female. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you if you're looking to buy one look for a red escort in winterberries the most common ones you're going to see is one of the hybrid sparkleberry uh, and also you're going to find berry heavy berry nice those are real good berry poppins i think is another one yeah that's another one afterglow is a real good one and and these vary in height depending on what you want uh, and with those you're going to want to have a male uh, and there are several males that are available apollo uh, Jim Dandy and Southern Gentleman. Right. You want one of those to be planted with your uh, your female. If you're planting lots of them, if you're really trying to do a wooded area, figure on one male for about every five females. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, but all again, this information is on our Facebook group. So, so, so Warren Red, 
uh, for Wendy is going to be one of the more uh, plentiful. That'd be the best female. Possum hall that you're going to have out there. Yeah. And it gets, what, 20 foot tall, 15 foot wide, Uh, 15 to 20? Warren Reds, it says uh, 15 to 20 foot, 15 foot wide. So that's a a big Mm -hmm. possum hall. But I've I've seen them when they're mature. Mm -hmm. And guys, when the leaves are gone and you have nothing but berries on them. I mean, you stop in your tracks and like, what is this thing? It's just beautiful. And also, you know, the possum hall is not a real dense, thick plant. So it can go into your landscape, but not look like it's taken up a humongous amount of space. Well, now the possum hall is going to get the bigger than, say, the, you know, the winterberry, mm-hmm. uh, the sparkleberry and those uh, hollies. Uh, there are some uh, deciduous hollies that only get, you know, five foot tall. Yeah. So I you like the tall ones so they can oh, me go up above Canopy the house. Canopy over everything. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Right. But there are, I mean, you don't, just in your mind, remember, you know, not all deciduous hollies are huge like right. the possum hollies. That's true. Be, a good thing to point out because no matter... If they're going to have a canopy above, sometimes there's still no space for that. So if we can have some smaller ones. Yeah, I do remember this uh, lady's house that we worked at. She had planted uh, Possum Hall, Sprite. What did we say? What was it? Winter well, there's, Sprite? There's Winterberry. Spr- there's uh, Spirit. Well, there's Red Sprite. Red Sprite. That's it. That's which right. one it was. was Red Sprite. And it was eight feet tall no eight, i'm not eight feet tall it was tall as me <laughs> yeah. like five seven that's five about eight five yeah that's about what they, rest, they and it, think that's mm-hmm. about it and it had uh beautiful red berries on it oh, too yeah. so you're really not sacrificing berries if it's shorter but they are nice to have and i tell you you know you, it's one of those things where you there again it's an inconspicuous shrub in my opinion until they drop their leaves and then you you see all those beautiful red berries. Well, and, if, and there are orange berry and yellow yeah. berry varieties, too, which we have true. listed there. Probably not going to. You may have to get those to a specialty place, but mm. you do see them occasionally. What if, okay, so I've got this, the, the berry that gets only like five feet tall. And I want to use all those berries in a design again. Mm-hmm. What if I cut them all off? How is that going to go? Is it going to ruin the shape of it? Well, it's not going to ruin the shape, but you're probably not going to have any berries for two years. Yeah, so let's not go that route. You could take a few off. They bloom in the spring. And and if you're not sure if you've got a male or a female and it's just not producing uh, fruit, look at the flower when it's in bloom. It looks like a little dogwood flower, okay? And if there is a cup in the center, it looks like you could put a ball in it, Mm -hmm. that's a little boy. If it's got the ball there, it looks like a, a just a, a marble sitting in the center of that dogwood bloom, that's a female. Yeah. So, okay. Right. So you can tell by looking at the bloom. Yes. All right. So don't cut all the berries off the tree because then it may be two years before you get berries. And why right. would that be, though? Because, because the flowers for next year are, are not going to be protected. Exactly. So I'm right. cutting the flowers off for next oh, they, year. You're right. cutting the blooming tissue off. Yeah. 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 You're going to get yeah. lots of new growth. Right. But that's not going to produce flowers till the following year. Mm. Well, if you could wait, that might be a good way to thicken it well, up. Well, that's why you have a couple berries. of them. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And you just alternate cutting them. I'm, can you tell I'm just so into this Christmas decoration, berries and red twig dogwoods. I want to start growing everything that I'm putting in the porch pots instead of having to order so much or go get artificial. On her balcony. Yes, <laughs> on my balcony. You're exactly right. Can you imagine that? Oh, yeah. She'll try. And and a big it. balcony. Well, I'm doing this on the property. On right. the property. What about, had a customer give me a shout uh, about Rose Rosette. 
which is the witch's broom that we Mm -hmm. see. It's a viral that affects a lot of our roses. In this case, guys, it was uh, on some drift roses that were in a bed, and there's numerous drift roses in this bed, okay? Uh, And let's just say there's 40 drift roses, which to me a drift rose is like a dwarf knockout rose, okay? It's just a shorter shrub rose. And Jim, Veda, they had uh, signs of rose rosette or witch's Mm -hmm. broom. So they went in there and they took out the ones that looked infected, and they're gone. And the question was, can she go back in there and plant a shrub in that same hole in the same year that you took that drift rose out? And, you know, if you, it's it's depending on what article you read, let me put it that way. A lot of these articles that we read, especially early on, when we started seeing a lot of rose rosette here in the Mid-South, they're saying, no, 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 don't plant another rose in that same hole for at least two years because the viral could still be in the soil. Well, we know now that the virus doesn't live in the soil at all. It only lives on the plant tissue. But then they said, no, 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 don't plant because it can also be in the root system of a rose, which it is. So if you dig the rose up, invariably you're going to leave some of the root system down in the ground, right? And they're saying if you put the new rose in there and the new rose root touches any part of an old piece of a root mm-hmm. from an infected plant, you can get it that way. Have y'all heard anything different? The latest yeah. information, mm-hmm. that, uh, and we were talking about this earlier, that I've read came out of the University of Oklahoma, and they recommend waiting two months. Instead of two years is what right. they used to say. And within two months, whatever roots were in there would have died. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if you ripped out a plant and left a large root. Large root. Gotcha. It Which may is, well re-sprout. Uh-huh. Okay. It's already, if it's already infected, it's infected. So if one re-sprouts from the ground, it could easily then be transported when those mites feed on it, right. move it to your new plant. So what I would say is if you're going to plant a drift rose in this case in the same hole that you had an old drift rose in that was infected with rose rosette, you just want to make sure you get as much of that root system out of That's there right. as you right. possibly can. And surely don't leave any big pieces of root in right. there. Well, I would think like the how long to wait a lot of times because you're saying the rose roots can break down. But have you noticed, like, the difference of how quick things break down on the type of soil they're in? Oh, absolutely. You know, if it's like a kind of a barren, dry, dead soil, things take longer to break down. So if your soil's really decent or real good, then those roots and everything can break down faster, and then you're good. But if if the soil's just kind of slow not so much alive, it would take longer for those roots to break down. Well, yeah, you don't have the microorganisms in that yeah, dead to soil do it, yeah. uh, to break that stuff down. But also, real quick, if you do have roses, you know, one of the things you can do to help prevent rose rosette is winter prune your roses. Get in there and cut, what, a third of the height off of those roses now mm-hmm. and get all that tissue out of there because mm-hmm. most of these mites that transmit the disease that are windblown, they're in the top one to two-thirds of the rows. That's where they hang out, Mm -hmm. okay? So if you can go in there and cut off a third of the roses now, what they call winter pruning, and get that out of there, you're also potentially getting rid of millions of mites that might be on that rose. And then, uh, you know, weather permitting, go in there and start spraying with an oil spray, whether it's now, whether it's early spring, to kind of coat all the tissue and maybe kill any overwintering mites that might be on there. So there are a few things that we can do. And, And space your roses out to where you don't have just a hedge 
if you can, okay? I'm not or saying, just plant less than you can space them. <laughs> yeah, because these little mites, I mean, they're they're small, and the wind just blows them around, and these roses just, they're like little catching mitt. Mm-hmm. They catch them, and that's where you typically get the virus from. So those are the things we can do to help prevent the, fire, the virus to start with. Sounds good. All right, we're on to a break, and then we'll be right back. Good morning, and welcome back. Okay, y'all. I was looking at a picture, and this man was holding an earthworm that looked like a python snake. Ta-da. So I'm like, okay, photoshopped, I'm sure. No, earthworms, not in our area, can get up to six feet long. But this one was an anomaly and was 21 feet long. You're going to need a big That's hook a big for worm. that thing. Yeah. I know. Ew. So it's for real. I fact-checked so many different ways, but... Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine a compost pile that big to hold a worm that big? Oh, even the night crawlers we see around here from time oh, to time. So I mean, big. yeah, those things are huge and to me they're big for a worm. But yeah. you know, worms are a great thing. They're they're they they're do a regular earthworm, I should yes, say. Fine, but those others <laughs> yeah. no. The, and the jumpers are not very good for us either. What? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, okay, that made me think about the jumpers. Are they going to make it to us? Probably. And that means that they eat other earthworms, they too, other don't earthworms. they? They earthworms. They actually um, do bad things for your soil yeah. instead of uh, good things. What are we going to do? We're well, doing the fire ants. Let's the hope and pray that that's the one more thing that we don't have to deal with later on in life, right? But it sounds so. Yeah. It sounds like that might happen. Um, and, uh, yes, talking about earthworms, and we were talking about houseplants. I had a houseplant in a bigger container that just wasn't doing good. And I was like, okay, you know, when something doesn't do good and you've drenched it and you've done this and that, okay. She reaches for the this. earthworm castings. No, actually, I was like, I'm taking it out of the pot. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take stuff out of the pot and look at the roots, you can tell. So when I took it out of the pot, only half of the dirt came with it mm-hmm. because it only had the roots in that part. The lower, and this was a 10-gallon, the lower part was still just soil, wet, kind of mm-hmm. wet, moist soil. Three earthworms just came dancing out of the soil. Yeah. So they were their soil was good, but it was too much for a house plant. It held water just a little too long. But I mean, this is a house plant's been indoors the whole time. So worms live in good soil, and there's worm eggs and everything, and it's okay if you have earthworms in your house <laughs> in your soil. A lot, well, a lot of times gonna, you would never know. They're not going to leave and hang out in your carpet because they don't like that environment. Well, and one <laughs> of the one of the digs on you know a lot of people, you know how many grubs we have around here now, and with the Japanese beetles, and there, we already had grubs before the millions of Japanese beetles that come from a grub. Or in that area, so we have, by default we have a lot more grubs potentially in our in our lawn than we ever used to have. So a lot of people to kill the grubs because they can do a lot of damage to our lawns. Uh, there we're using products that not only kill the grubs but they also kill up to eighty percent of the earthworms at any given time when you put these products down. Now talking to some of the tech people, they say by you know. Years in, within a year's time, the earthworm population is more or less back Mm -hmm. to full force. So, I mean, that just makes you think how prolific, you know, earthworms are. If you are putting these insecticides down to kill certain things in your lawn, like I said, invariably you're killing a lot of your earthworms also. You know, but I mean, can the populations truly be back almost to 100% or even 80% within Mm -hmm. one year's time? 
Yes, and I'm not so sure in our type soil that we're doing that much damage to earthworm. Because you're saying the clay is going to bind up very quickly yep. to products like a metacloprid. Mm-hmm. Um, it binds very rapidly to organic mm-hmm. matter. Uh, and most of your earthworms are deeper in your turf area um, mm. than the chemicals going to mm-hmm. penetrate. Yeah. Right. Now in flower beds, a little different. Your soil is Much more looser. Yep. Um, there, they're going to be closer to the surface as long as the soil's moist. You run more risk of damaging your earthworms there uh, than you do in your turf. Yeah. So you know what I would do would be still use all that. But probably do a couple applications of organic lawn food or some compost, yeah. and that'll just give a little kind extra of rebuild help. that. Yeah, for the worms to um, grow back. Well, but <laughs> for the worms to develop. And the reason I said earthworm castings while ago, Veda, is yeah. you know the earthworm castings are the manure that's left over mm-hmm. from earthworms. It's one of the best compost products out on the market, hands down. But I know on your house plants uh, every year that you go in there or more than mm-hmm. once a year and put a layer of earthworm castings down on the top of your existing soil on anything that's in a mm-hmm. container. You know? Yeah, it's a, it's absolutely wonderful. And you know, we don't feed house plants in the winter, but I still use uh, organic products because it's not pushing to the plant immediately because I still want the soil to remain good. So it can take the nutrients when needed. But earthworm castings, there again, guys, is a really good form of compost. And you can put it on anything and everything. Now, usually it costs a little more than the mm-hmm. big bags of, say, cow manure and yeah. cottonburg compost. But it doesn't, you don't have to use a whole lot right, either. Right, using it differently. Like, I'm, well, I might put a whole bag of worm castings in my mixture of soil, but it would have to be a big space. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was looking at. Uh, pictures again, of course, getting ideas. And I, there's this one lady that does fantastic looking containers. But the thing is, I'm looking at this one container and it's beautiful. But we have got like 36 inch plants surrounding a uh, juniper. So it looks good for on, one 30? week. 30? Yeah, can you mm-hmm. see? It looks good oh, yeah. for, for one week. But you know, okay, 36-inch plants surrounding a juniper in a container, but the plants are potted in the yeah, pot. Yeah, it's okay. all potted. And the container's like, what is that, four feet wide? Okay. And it's all circled. It's four, one, two, three, four layers. So it's so aesthetically beautiful and pleasing but it's not going to last very long. Why not? So it's overplanted. Yeah, way overplanted. And what's, way are, are there winter hardy plants that are yeah. in there? Yeah, I mean, okay. like, they're just so close together. I mean, they've got hookah shoved up under the tree, and they're right next to each other. I mean, there's probably more than 30, right, so but what, you can't grow all those. All right, what you're saying then, for a function or a party, yeah. it's absolutely beautiful. Right. Cram them in there, make it look mm-hmm. good for the event. But you're saying for the long term... It's, not, it's just going to look worse and just worse not the smartest thing to do. Mm-mm. Yeah, so That's the reason. When I try to do pots like that, I leave them in the containers. Go ahead there and put them in there, pack them close, mm-hmm. put a little light layer of mulch on top so they look like they're planted. Yeah. Then as if they start to decline or if you if they start to get too big, you can pull them out, spread them out mm-hmm. in the containers, redo your mulch. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It still looks pretty good. Yeah, I like that. That's a great idea because if it does, if some of them are succeeding, they root into the soil. They'll root out of that container right. into the soil. But you just can't. I mean, 
you just can't plant that many and expect long-term well, beauty. Hey, we s- so that's what I'm wondering. We s- we see that on landscapers yeah. do that also. Yeah, Not only for exactly. bedding plants annuals, just but for also whole, trees and shrubs. The okay? whole landscape. All right, what about real quick, guys? I know we got winter coming up. In fact, you know, if you walk outside now, you think it's winter's already here, right? As Veda said, it's just still fall, y'all. <laughs> But last year, we started seeing a good bit of damage on a lot of Japanese maples and some of these other thin-skinned, like cherry, <laughs> uh, thin-skinned trees. Because, Jim, as you know, in Veda, we had these really sunny days last winter. But for almost a week, the temperatures were below zero. Mm-hmm. And when the sun would come out, especially on that southwest side, the sun would hit the trunks of these trees, especially there again, these thin-skinned trees, and mostly these younger trees. And it would cause that side of the trunk to expand. And then at night, when it got cold, they would contract. So you started getting a lot of these splits and lesions in the trunk of the tree, which a lot of times we didn't know even happened until they started dying in the spring and summer. Mm-hmm. So is there anything that we need to do now to help protect the certain type of thin-skinned trees, especially these younger trees like Japanese maples, that are getting that southwest exposure? Yeah, I'd wrap them with tree wrap for, you know, I'm more concerned about eastern exposure than that um, because that's where the sun hits it first thing in the morning. And, and they've done research on this, and they say that there can be as much as 77 degrees difference yeah, exactly between right. the sunny side and the shady Ooh, side. 77? 77, 77 degrees, degrees. difference. So, uh, Whoa. That causes that expansion and crack. And right there, we're on the south side of the plant where those two tissues meet. Mm. That's where you get so much of the damage. Mm. So if it's not planted in deep shade or being shaded, wrap that trunk up to about four feet mm-hmm. with three wrap, and hopefully that'll. And do then it take for it you. back off next spring, and you're good to go. Yep. We'll be here Thanksgiving weekend too to enjoy with you.